appear to have had a good thing and lost it, or never to have had it. The truth is, we're all achingly lonely, and we're endlessly searching for ways to fill that void. There's a word in Korean, inyon. It means faith. It's an interesting phrase, go boldly. What is there to boldly go into? What is stronger? Your fear or your love for me? I don't know what it is you got to do, but I, I think that this thing is supposed to help. Just have fun out there. <laughs> The only one who gets to decide if I'm true is me. She said it gave rights. The story of me, take two. And of course the music will be spectacular. Run Hello everybody, welcome back. It is Monday, January 8th, 2023. And you are listening to the Midnight Film Society's 2023 year-end extravaganza. I'm your host, Anna Reckless, with a juicy caboose. Damian Sherman. Joining me today, as always, is... Derek McDuff. On today's show, the only thing Derek and I will be doing is counting down our top 10 films of the year of our Lord 2023. Derek, how do you feel, bud? The year is ending. I feel... The year's ended finally. <laughs> All right. We, uh, we, we rang in the new year. 2020 uh, part five is, is starting up. Happy New Year. Uh, so yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, the last few years have maybe been rough on, on the world bit. and everything, but let's hope, let's see if this one's any better. You know, let's, let's, let's reset the, the table, try again. You know, it's like my brother every week when it comes to betting football, uh, it never seems to pay off, but maybe one of these days he's going to hit all that, those 18 parlays that he puts down <laughs> to pay off. Yeah. I mean, uh, and that'll be this year for us. That'll be this year. Yeah. It is an election year, yeah. so that's not great. Um, oh. yeah, I've heard a bunch of, uh, you know, people get like a bunch of the podcasts I listen to, um, get ahead of the game always. So there, I've heard like three or four, you know, most anticipated movies of this year already. Um, you know, uh, some of the stuff that I've been looking forward to, some of the stuff I didn't even know about, some of the stuff I'm not really looking forward to, but yeah, this is how we, how we do it. We do the thing where, you know, a lot of the movies are, are just coming out in America, just getting to VOD, like Saltburn, that thing <laughs> with the weird little guy in it. Um, so, yeah, we're we, we looking back on the year right now for us. Um, so how was 2023 for you in terms of in terms of movies? Um, you know, was it better? I guess we can, you know, sort of compare it to, like you said, to the to the COVID years. Uh, COVID is still ra- uh, ravaging the country as we speak. Um, but just comparing it to the start of it, 2020, 2021, and 2022, how do you think this year's fares in terms of movies compared to those years? In terms of films that have come out this year, uh, I think it was actually a spe- pretty spectacular year. Yeah. 
Uh, I you know I thought 2022 was a good year in movies, and I think this one far surpassed it. And I think a big part of the reason was that 2020 and 2021, because of COVID and all the stuff that was happening with movie theater closures and movies not being in production for a while, uh, movies were really rough for a couple of years. But that meant that the next couple of years we got a lot of good things, including we got uh, a lot of films this year from a lot of quote unquote auteur directors, a lot of masters directing their their movies you know you had scorsese michael mann um Hayao miyazaki uh alexander payne um sofia coppola the list goes on just like all these huge names we had yeah. uh we also had some conclusions to some long-running series that uh were pretty great you know stuff that might show up on one or both of our lists uh, possibly uh, you know, these these franchises, like, it was kind of a rough year for franchises, but I think there was actually some really good franchise stuff mixed in there as well. And then some emerging uh, emerging writers and directors uh, doing their, their first films uh, had a really strong showing as well. So overall, I, I, I had a trouble narrowing it down to 10 movies because there was just so much good stuff that came out this year. Yeah, I would mostly agree. Um, you know, just to talk specifics, like you said, our tour directors, had a very good year, Mister um, Mister Finchman. The Finchman came back. Uh, the Finchman. The Finchman yes. came back this year. Um, you know the the Greta Gerwig Barbie Heimer thing was huge um, for theaters, um, and you know they both one or both of them could have been not great. They were both spe- spectacular. They both made a shit ton of money. Um, great year for animation. Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. Um, just going through the list. Elemental, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was very good. Um, just trying to go through my list. I know there's many more uh, animated stuff. Um, n- some people mentioned, you know, not great year for genres, uh, specifically horror. You had talked to me. You had When Evil Lurks, Affinity Pool was very good. But I uh, I do have to agree with a lot of what a lot of people said. Scream 6 was okay. Um, the 3-Gin was okay. <clears throat> you didn't really enjoy that. The 3-Gin, <laughs> yeah. I did not enjoy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I would say overall I agree with you just uh, specifically, though, about genre films. And horror specifically, not a great year. 2023, not a great year for horror, unfortunately. I don't know if I agree with that. No. Uh, I'm not a big horror guy, but yeah. you know your list is locked in. Your guesses for locked in for me, right? Yes, sir. Because because uh, I I have I have a horror film on my list, and I'm not a huge horror guy. So yeah, you know <laughs> yeah. So. so I guess we should do a little bit of table setting. This is the first year. So first of all, first year, uh, first year and extravaganza for the Midnight Film Society as a brand. Uh, first year we're doing just films. Um, I know there's another first first for this show. Um, first with just the two of us, uh, Andy and Dion, or our normal people. I won't say normies. Won't, I won't denigrate them that way. <laughs> they are normal folks with families and jobs, and uh, yeah, so they're going to take the year off. Maybe come back stronger next year, but we will be hearing them hearing from them later on. Uh, my mom too. We got her to, to uh, do the recording. We saw. I saw. Uh, Mama Sherman. Mama Sherman, yes. Uh, I saw a bunch of movies with her, and I had her record a little thing to talk about her favorite movie of the year. So, yeah, just uh, in terms of uh, what we're doing here today specifically, uh, I think maybe halfway throughout the year I said, hey, here's a fun thing we can do. Uh, Rank uh, what we think each other's top ten is going to be. So I have my prediction for you locked in. 
when I say my top 10, when I start the top 10 list, I will ask, I will go to you, I'll throw it to you, and uh, you will guess what you think my number 10 movie of 2023 is, and I will guess yours back to you, and we'll go vice versa that way. Um, the other thing to note about the, the structure of this, of this show is we're going to be doing the thing that a lot of people do, which is, let's say Indiana Jones is your number 10, um, and it's higher on my list, I'll say no, no, no. We will, we will speak about that film much later. So I think that uh, pretty much does it for the table setting for today's show. Anything that I missed, Derek? Well, yeah, the uh, nothing you missed, but I just wanted to uh, add one thing to that. Yeah, this is, you know, you said this first year that we're doing this as like the Midnight Film Society with the new format and stuff. And yeah, this is also, you know, the first year that I'm doing my full, because, uh, you know, we've done top tens in the past, but uh, this is the first time I'm doing my full top 10 movie list here uh you know back when i was uh part of undercast company we had our pa- separate patreon where we do that but now doing it for free it's showing up in my feed as well over on underrated movie podcast uh i'm gonna be posting this there so if people are hearing that there that's why i'm so excited to uh be able to do this not behind a paywall and <laughs> in front of all the people and God and everyone else. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, if you do something for Patreon, the Lord can't see it. That's how that works. Um. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus can't see behind that paywall unless he signs up, <laughs> unless I get Jesus's $1. <laughs> exactly. A um, couple of questions before we get to the top 10. How long were you moving your picks around until uh, just now? I was moving my picks around until a couple hours ago. Uh, a couple things here and there, not in the top three, not in the top five, but you know, lower down the list. Uh, how long did it take you to finally say, okay, this is my list. This is what I'm presenting to, to Damien. To like right now, like before, <laughs> like, like I, I, I rearranged some stuff this morning yeah. uh, or this afternoon, I guess, um, a couple hours back. I actually just finished watching uh, one of the movies that uh, we had talked about, something you had told me to watch. Uh, ah. So I just watched that one. No word on whether or not that would <laughs> pop up on my list. Yeah, um, It may or may not. But yeah, I, I literally like five minutes before we jumped on, finished watching the last movie that I had to consider uh, for 2023. So um, whether or not that one played in <laughs> will be revealed momentarily. Nice. Um, then, you know, the question we always ask when we do lists every year even you know top five halfway into the year or anything like that um there are the chalk picks there are the ones that are going to go going to go on to the oscars to the golden globes they're going to be nominated they're the big ones oppenheimer barbie killer of the flower moon um how many of those do you look at and go they'll they'll be talked about those will be talked about i don't need to put those on my list i have other things i personally feel deserve uh, to be ranked higher um how did you sort of go about crafting your list in terms of thinking about that sort of stuff i didn't consider it one way or the other okay. i honestly was just like what are my top movies you know whether or not yeah. they're ones that are going to get talked about uh by other people uh you know these are these are my favorite movies and i don't want my list to be influenced by other people's lists uh because i'm like well i've got to include Killers of the Flower Moon because it's got to be on everyone's list is such an important movie you know uh, I might have put it on my list because I liked it but I'm not going to leave it off either because I think too many people have talked about it but I'm also not going to be like feel pressure to leave it on I'm just going to put on the movies that I think are the best and we do you know we have some categories here and I, we do have a category for most overlooked 
movie that I'm glad that we have because I can... There was one I was thinking about putting on my top 10 just because it was like no one is talking about this, but we we do have an opportunity to talk about it there and in my honorable mentions too. Yeah, I'm just looking at the um, the list of uh, stuff I have on mine. It's a, it's a good mix of things that will be... Uh, you know, nominated for Best Picture, Best Actress, all of that stuff. Um, let me just take a quick gander here. Um, let's see. Um, yeah, you know, it's a lot of the, the of course, yes, that. Um, how many uh, movies that are on your list uh, did you see, like, let's say, in the past month, two weeks? And did you sort of go into those movies going, all right, I, I'll check them out <laughs> because they're they're big, big stars, big, big big movies that, that uh, are expected to be, to be nominated, expect to have a lot of acclaim attached to them. When you, when you left those, when you left those movies, you left the theater, did you go, uh, no, let me, sorry, let me go the other way. When you went into those movies, did you anticipate they would be on your list? The Iron Claws, let's say something like that. Well, yeah, I did. There was a lot. I did watch a lot of stuff the past month that I was like, okay, I need to watch this because I need to, consider it for my list um but uh not really a lot of stuff from that like i was like is this gonna crack the top 10 not really that much stuff broke through i i think i already had a really solid top 10 going into this so there wasn't a lot not that there weren't great things because there were great things but then you know when i saw some of these i was like i don't know what i'm gonna kick out you know (laughs) yes um and then last question before we get to the top 10 uh films of 2023 uh what was your biggest disappointment anything you went into um that you were expecting to to love a lot and you came out and said actually i'm not that hot on it for whatever reason uh yeah the one that uh that i was not that i really wanted to like was actually one i had watched in anticipation of this list really think it would make my top 10 yep and that is um, a Danish film called Godland, mm. uh, which I'd seen crop up on a few people's top ten lists. It's a uh, just kind of it's shot like an old timey grainy uh, water photo. Like it's it's um it's and it was like this. It's supposed to be like this intimate portrait of like uh, a priest like making his way through nature and just how like unforgiving it is and just kind of proves how meaningless his quest to kind of tame nature in the face of god is and i was like i am so on board for this and the movie it had all that it was like some good, interesting visuals but the, the characters were pretty flat and uninteresting the plot was pretty one note and predictable so it really it let me down quite a bit it i was it what it, it did feel kind of like a crossover of like and I wrote this in my letterbox review like a si- uh, crossover of silence and first cow oh, wow but without being <laughs> as yeah, without being as deep or memorable as either of those films, uh, which is a shame because I really, I really wanted to like this movie, and I, and I, I didn't hate it, but it just didn't move me. All right, that's unfortunate. So, yeah. so, so, yes. Question yes. real fast. Then, are we doing? Are we doing the categories before uh, the top ten or after? Um, yeah, we can do we can do them now if, if you want. Um, yeah, okay. I, 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 yeah, I crafted the list. Uh, I didn't really contribute much to it because <laughs> I forgot about it honestly <laughs> at the last minute. But uh, yeah, let's go to go through some of the categories. Uh, first up is best musical moment. Um, I have written down. I'm just Ken. We can we can go back and forth with this. Um, I have written down. You know, I'm just Ken from the Barbie movie. A lot of that movie. You know, it's funny because they they're marketing a lot of these movies right. Uh, that are musicals as not musicals. Would you call Barbie a, a hidden musical, a, a secret musical 
<laughs> movie? No, I mean, there's a couple songs, but I don't think it's a full-on musical. Okay. Um, I, there's musical moments. Yeah. I mean, this was this was my moment, too. Yes. Like, this this song is absolutely incredible. Um, I, there's, like, one or two songs in it. Uh, so I wouldn't really classify this as a musical like something that is a real hidden musical like Mean Girls or like uh, that one with Peter Dinklage, whatever it was. Uh, oh, yeah. Those are hidden musicals, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was very good. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, Beastie Boys, uh, the Garden of the Galaxy hallway fight scene, great musical moment. Um, no Hard Feelings, the man-eater scene. I don't know if you caught up with uh, No Hard Feelings. That's the one I watched right before this. I, I literally gotcha. finished that five minutes before recording, yeah. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. That was good. That was a good moment. That was a very good moment. And then, of course, all of the killer with the Smiths uh, soundtrack playing <laughs> over that almost entire movie. And then, of course, the murder on the dance floor scene with Mr. Uh, Barry Keown showing his Keown flopping all over the place ah. <laughs> at the end of that movie. <laughs> yeah, so that was very good. Uh, anything I didn't mention you want to mention yeah. real quick? No, I think you hit all the big ones. Yeah, I'm just kind of de- a clear winner. The only one that's, I think, close is the Guardians yes. Uh, one. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, best monologue, uh, some ones from this year I really enjoyed were from the holdovers, I think, near the end when um, Paul Giamatti and uh, I forget the editor's name in that, but they have a really, really nice heart-to-heart there. Really enjoyed that that scene. Um, there's the monologue in Barbie that everyone's talking about. Um, very, you know, fem- feminist-y. Um you know, talked about there, um, and then the I the the scene that I looked up for this list, uh, the Matt Damon uh, speech in Air when he's talking about you know he's it's one of those scenes where you see it a lot in movies where the person's given a script to say and they just like throw away the script and then just talk from the heart. But it was it was very yeah it's a, it's a it's a common trope in a lot of movies, but uh, it was very very well done in there. Anything you have to add to this list? Uh, the one that I had with the best monologue was Rachel McAdams in um, yes. uh, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Yeah. She gives that speech that is just so sad and poignant and it's it's really heartbreaking but really hopeful at the same time. And I think that it's a movie that should win her an Oscar and if not at least get her a nomination. I don't know if it will because that movie felt like it came out way too early in the year. But that's, that's I think, the best performance of her career and one of the best monologues i've ever seen in a movie yeah yeah i highly agree with that uh let's move on to scene of the year just a general uh scenes that we'll be thinking about when we think about movies from this year um the final scene in past lives i did just rewatch this last night and blubbered like a little baby again after watching it uh yeah just incredible um then my only other uh pick here is the dance scene in poor things i'm not sure if you uh caught up with poor things from at this point I did. I did catch poor catch up with poor things a little while ago. I, all I could think of when that scene happened was like somebody needs to do a remix of this. Like just take that scene and put Mr. Brightside on, and just be like, "This is white people at the club." <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be talking more about that movie later. But yeah, just one of the, one of the most uh, unhinged, um, unique, um, unbridled, uh, just throw just people throwing their bodies in all sorts of directions. It was incredible. Um, yeah, anything to add to that category? Uh, I think the see the one shot from Extraction uh, is is pretty incredible. The the you know prison break scene that becomes yeah. in the train highway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you could call that a scene, yeah. even though it's like sixteen minutes long, because it's all one shot 
which is it almost that scene alone almost like made me put this movie on my top 10 list didn't quite make the cut uh spoiler alert yeah. but uh you know that that scene was pretty phenomenal yes um so let's just uh, or the end i also also sorry yes. one more one yeah, more yeah. the end of asteroid city when he's talking to marvel uh, that's that's, yes. that's also yes 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 i i yeah, one i have to mention Spoilers, I don't have Asteroid City in my top 10, but I've seen a lot of people mention it. And uh, yeah, one of the one of my favorite movie-going experiences this year probably will be, for if we do top whatever, uh, top five Wes Andersons in the future, it'll probably be very high up in that list. Yeah, I really enjoyed that movie very much overall and that scene in particular. Um, let's talk about some uh, best male performances. Just going to go by the list here, I think. The male, male performances are going to be a common denominator in my uh, overall list for the movies this year. Um, Zach Efron in The Iron Claw, Michael Fassbender in The Killer. Um, uh, what's his name? Mr. Um, uh, Bradley Cooper in Maestro. Uh, let's see, Paul Giamatti. Ah, oh, yes, Maestro. Yeah, Maestro. <laughs> Paul Giamatti in The Holdovers. And, of course, uh, Killian Murphy in Oppenheimer. Just a lot of dudes going for it this year is, the, is yeah. the trend I see in a lot of these movies. How about you? Yeah, I would also add Glenn Howerton in Blackberry. Yes, yes, uh, yes, yes. Keanu Reeves in John Wick 4. Yep. Uh, Andrew Scott in All of Us Strangers. Yes. Uh, and then... Um, but I think that the one oh and, and then did I mention Harrison Ford in Dial of Destiny because nope. I think yeah that you know he's fucking Indiana Jones you know like <laughs> that's a you know I think he's great playing that character just over the years like just wizened and older and just you know seeing how he's changed uh, but I think the one of the year for for lead male performance I had I put it in a separate category for supporting but yeah. lead is is Joaquin Phoenix and Bo is afraid I thought was absolutely phenomenal <laughs> the most performance i'll give him that in that movie <laughs> yeah uh let's see so best female performance um i have written down uh carrie mulligan for maestro sandra huller for anatomy of a fall just looking through the list here um margot robbie in in barbie obviously have to mention her um some folks in uh how to blow up a pipeline let me just see um yeah our ariela bearer bearer christine forths forsyth um, Sasha Lane, very good in that. Um, let's see. I know there's some, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce her names, but um, a lot of the actresses in Godzilla Minus One. Uh, Minami uh, Hamabe and uh, whew, uh, Kuran, <laughs> Kuran, oh, Kurensaki Sasaki. Um, and Yuki Yamada, I believe, is the woman that played uh, the love interest in that movie. So uh, very good actresses in that. Um, and Emma Stone is the actress of the year. I mean, that is just... That's, yeah, that's my pick, too. That's, yeah. She's, she's, yeah, number Oof. one with a bullet. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you want to add to that? Yeah, there's a couple. I mean, uh, late breaking entry, having just watched it, but I think Jennifer Lawrence in No Hard Feelings yeah. uh, is really great. Yeah. In uh, that role, um, I would also say Amon Vellani in The Marvels, uh, Kaylee Spaney yes. in Priscilla. Uh, did you say Lily Gladstone, nope. Killers of the Flower Moon? Did not. Okay, I think she has to be mentioned. Uh, incredible, phenomenal performance in that movie. Uh, quiet and powerful. And then I would say Greta Lee in Past Lives as well. Greta Lee, yes, absolutely. Greta Lee and um, Lily, Lily Gladstone doing very similar um, things with their with their performances very still very quiet but very 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 powerful um, 
scariest moment um talk to me is the talk to me uh could be maybe somewhere <laughs> on the top talk to me yeah yeah it could be somewhere on the list uh i have that i have that on here as you know the possession scene one of the most unique um you know perspectives on a, on a possession obviously it's 2023 so <clears throat> anything like that's going to go viral so it's all the kids sitting around uh, uh filming it and their reactions and sort of the um, performance of the people being possessed, really, really, really well done. I haven't really seen anybody do a performance uh, that is that um, convincing, I guess would be the word uh, there for that sort of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, before, real th- Yeah. Talk to me. And then before, before we move on completely from actors, I did yeah. want to throw in my, my – those were my leads. I also had separate picks for supporting. Uh, I think, you know, like I said, um, for female supporting, I think – you know, uh, Rosen Pike in Saltburn was yep. really great. Uh, Tilda Swinton had a small role in The Killer, but absolutely incredible. And then uh, Vanessa Kirby, yeah. also in, uh, in Mission Impossible, Dead of Reckoning Part 1. Uh, she's great as Vanessa Kirby, and then also as Vanessa Kirby as Haley Atwell. Like, that is phenomenal. She's so good at that. Uh, but the two I have tied for the winner there are the aforementioned Rachel McAdams and then uh, Jesse Buckley in Woman Talking, um, which... Uh, yeah, I thought they were both great. And then for for male supporting, I ha- well one that I'll bring up later in Overlooked, but I think uh, you know two from Oppenheimer, RDJ and Matt Damon. Uh, I think Dave Batista is another one that I could probably mention as an overlooked one for Neck at the Cabin. But it's got to go to Gosling, Gosling and Barbie. Like you know, we already talked about him, just Ken, but like he gives such a phenomenal, just great <laughs> performance in that movie. He's he's arguably the best part of that whole movie. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, just looking through my list, um, trying to see if I had anything else to mention in terms of that. I mean, Infinity Pool, some uh, very terrifying scenes. One Evil Lurks, very, very um, unsettling moments there. Saw X obviously had just gr- gross-out moments, more than scary. Um, evil Dead Rise, yeah, some some good uh, some good sc- scary stuff from this year, but I would have to say um, one of the weakest years uh, in terms of horror stuff in a while, unfortunately. So let's go on to best animated moment. Um, let me go through some of my picks that are my list. Well, not my picks, but just the uh, the stuff that's outside of the top ten. About that, uh, Elemental, very very good. I loved a lot of those moments between the fire when the fire um, characters being the water character. Uh, let me see if I can pull up the people. Uh, what were they called actually? Ember. Oh yeah, Ember and Wade. When they meet, uh, when Ember meets Wade's family, it was a very good scene in there. Um, Let's see. Uh, TMNT had a lot of great scenes, but I really, I really loved Nimona. Thinking, thinking more back on it, um, it could have made uh, a spot in my top ten. So many great moments in that. So many great performances um, by Miss Chloe Grace, Chloe Grace Moretz. I didn't even know it was her throughout the rest of throughout the movie. I had looked it up later and was like, "Wow, that's a really great, great performance." When you don't know who's actually doing the acting there. Um, let's see what else. Obviously, and then obviously, you know, across the Spider Verse, just all all of that. <laughs> every moment, every moment of that movie was great. What do you got for this category, sir? So yeah, I just have one moment. Um, for me, this was just a really, and I, I liked the movie, but it wasn't like one that I was going to put on my top ten list. But the the moment that was just so powerful to me was, um, just the ending of the Venture Brothers, a a TV show that I had watched since I was fourteen. Uh, or so, like the first season I think came out in 2003 maybe uh, so it's something that I, I grew up with, I watched it through high sc- the end of high school, through college through my 20s and 30s 
uh, even my late teens is when I started. And, you know, it's one of those shows where they would release a season every two to five years. And they, uh, you know, it ended on this uh, movie. Uh, you know, a theatrically, or I guess it wasn't theatrically released, but a, a movie uh, made for, that was released uh, first to, to download and then eventually on HBO Max. And just getting to see uh, the conclusion of this long story with this deep, intricate mythology that, you know, play where like a, a joke from season one would become a huge important emotional moment in this film or something like that uh was really great and just to see the end of these these characters that i have loved so deeply for so long uh you know the and the name of the film which is great is the venture brothers rating it was the blood of the baboon heart <laughs> really great if you haven't seen the venture brothers this movie will make no sense to you like yeah. you need to have watched like all of the venture brothers and I did catch up on the last couple seasons, which I had missed the last one, which came out. I think they came out like a little bit before the pandemic. Um, so yeah, this was this was really cool and uh, really meaningful to me. The end of this uh, long running series done in a movie form. Nice, very cool. Uh, let's see. So that's animated stuff. Best screenplay. I was looking, looking through my list here. Um, the stuff that I find really fascinating and really. Um, impactful on screenplays is when it doesn't feel like is written you know it feels like you know you have overlapping dialogue or you have it seems it just seems off the cuff um i saw a thousand and one just recently which was on a lot, a lot of people's top 10 list and that had a very uh very impactful and very um very raw screenplay um let's see asteroid city always great i always love uh mr anderson's um dialogue there and his screenplays are always great um let me see. You know, Bottoms, the comedies always have, always got to have a really good screenplay. Bottoms had a great, great screenplay. And then um, what else? Running in the Sun, you know, very interesting <laughs> screenplay there. Uh, let's see. I That's I, one I, word for it. I don't uh, think there was a screenplay. I think they just made shit up. Just made shit up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was something yeah, It's here. called Mumblecore. <laughs> there was something I wanted to... Oh, Skidamarink. Yeah, great screenplay. That's uh, very... Uh... Screenplay? No one even <laughs> says anything in that movie. Nothing even happens. That was a... The screenplay joke, is a wall. Joke. They just write, look at a wall for 30 minutes. Um. <laughs> there was one I wanted to mention it because I was like, oh, yeah, that was really, really well done. I mean, things like theater camp where it's just like, you know, somebody's yes. mumbling some line uh, um, under their breath as they walk away. It's a very, very funny screenplay there. Uh, what do you got to mention for a screenplay here? Uh, for screenplay, I have, um, let's see, uh, I've got uh, Poor Things. Uh, yes. I think that was a great screenplay uh, yes. by Tony McNamara. People talk about Poor Things like it's a something that just sprouted from the mind whole cloth. Of Yorgos Lanthimos, but you know Tony McNamara is an incredible writer, and I think the Yorgos Lanthimos movies that are the best are the ones that um, McNamara writes. This and the favorite, um, and then because they're the least bleak and the most interesting, uh, I would also say that. Um, let's see, what else uh, do I have here? Past Lives, great screenplay on that one. Uh, the Boy and the Heron, which has a kind of a less traditional screenplay. It was a big, it was mostly storyboarded. Uh, Blackberry. And then the one that I gave best screenplay to is the same one that won the Oscar for best screenplay last year that I was really pulling for, and that is Woman Talking, uh, written by Sarah Pauly. Uh, I think that is a phenomenal screenplay, one of the best in in a very long time. Yeah, how they agree. I'm uh, just talking about you know smaller movies saw this year. You you hurt my feelings by Nicole Hofstetter. Um, seeing as she wrote that, uh, yeah, she wrote that as well. Yep. So great direction, great screenplay. 
Uh, speaking of best directing, um, that'll be your next category. Um, like you said, Extraction 2, you mentioned that is a, a great scene. Uh, you have to be an amazing director, uh, you know, amazing um, sort of coordinator to, to pull that stuff off. So definitely got to give him his props there for that. Um, obviously, Wes Anderson with, with Asteroid City, uh, you know, it's, it's that style. He does this style again. <laughs> but to, so again, yep. just to coordinate all of that is very impressive. Uh, let me see. Obviously, you have, you know, you, you talked about, you know, it's a, it's a team effort. Um, our tour directors, um, you know, get too much credit, but James Gunn, obviously, for Garden, Garden of the Galaxy 3, his style obviously uh, came through there again. Um, save, save the MCU. <laughs> I, know you, <laughs> I know you hate when people say that, but pretty much did there. Uh, let's see what else. Um, uh, John Wick, for the same reason um, that I praised. Um, Mr. Uh, the director of Extraction, Sam, Sam Hargrave, have to um, have to praise um, the director of John Wick, Chad Chad Stahelski, for the same reasons. Um, and I believe that's about it. I mean, David Lowry did great stuff with Peter Pan and Wendy. Um, mm, yeah, always great to see him there. And then, of course, just uh, again going the weird route, uh, Brandon, Coder- Brandon Coderberg again bringing his. Uh, his very specific brand of weirdness to that movie. Really, really appreciated that. Uh, so what do you have some directors you want to, you want to highlight here? Yeah. So the directors that I wanted to highlight were uh, first time director, Celine song for past lives, uh, you know, was written yeah. and, you know, directed uh, Matt Johnson who uh, directed uh, Blackberry. He also uh, has a uh, starring role or at least supporting role in that movie. Uh, as does uh, he has a cameo in his film Martin Scorsese in Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, uh, and then uh, Hayao Miyazaki uh, in likely what will be his last film, um, yeah. The Boy and the Heron. Yeah, did uh, want to mention you know the uh, like you said Scorsese, uh, Mister Mister. Uh, Christopher yeah. Nolan, uh, L- L- that's, that's the thing I was gonna say. That's my winner, though. Chris Nolan yeah. for Oppenheimer. That's my winner. Those are all, those are all the though. Also, Rand's N- Nolan and Oppenheimer. Yeah, incredible, <laughs> of course. incredible direction. Of course, of course. And then editing. Um, I I think you know um, Sean Durkin. The stuff he did in Iron Claw got to be mentioned because mm. you know the the and with that and also past lives. Uh, Celine Song. Uh, you know, she, obviously she had an editor for that, but you know the confidence to let a scene let a scene play out, let your actors act, um, and don't don't allow them to hide behind editing or, or post production stuff. I think is really impressive. Um, so there, that's that's some great editing there. Um, let me see, looking through the list. Um, you know, like I said, the the theater camp stuff of like the spontaneous it, it, to make something seem spontaneous. Uh, in the writing and editing and direction, uh, very impressive. Uh, Asteroid City, got to give that up for editing. Um, and then again, the action stuff, very very hard to edit. Uh, action scenes to make it seem visceral, to seem tactile, to make it feel real. Very 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 tough to do that. Um, so yeah, those are my picks for editing. What you got over there? Yeah, I mean editing's always weird because it's like one of those things. It's like if you notice the editing, it's not doing a good job. Exactly. But, um, you know, I, I have some on here that are ones that I think utilize really smart editing really well in uh, The Killer. I think uh, that's one of the best things about that movie is just how sleek and well edited it is. And that's going to be something that's always going to happen with David Fincher films. Um, same thing with Asteroid City. Uh, you know, that's a really well done, quirkily animated 
excuse me, um, film, uh, Magic Mike's Last Dance, uh, amazing choreography and, you know, editing in that movie. Steven Soderbergh is a mad genius who just edit like him and Fincher. They're like two sides of a, two opposite sides of a coin when it comes to just editing, uh, masterpieces and just the incredible eye they have. Uh, but then, you know, I think that my, my favorite ones are, are two action ones, uh, John Wick Chapter 4, uh, and then the one that takes it for me is the aforementioned uh, Extraction 2, you know, not just because of that one uh, scene that seamlessly makes it look like it was edited into one long take when it wasn't, uh, but the whole movie is just such good action editing. Yes, yes, exactly. Um couple more here best score um it's i was looking through the list and it's just the it's the big ones it's the oppenheimer poor things holdovers uh i was re-listening to the past lives um soundtrack and the score of that is just incredible um i'll give you a little bit of a tease uh for my notes for that uh, but it is um let me see here the score uh, by Christopher Bear and Daniel Ronson. Reminds me of Lost in Translation. Very Brian Eno infused, and it's very reminiscent of things like the Eternal Sunshine score, which is re- uh, referenced in that movie, and also of the Goodwill Hunting score with the uh, Elliot Smith soundtrack being on there. So, yeah, but just everything. I'm trying to. I was trying to <laughs> highlight something uh, outside of the big ones, but um, didn't really. You know, Fair Play. Not really. Tetris is on here. Um, you hurt my feelings. Uh, yeah, I'm not really seeing anything else that like, oh, that had a good score. So uh, <laughs> maybe you can mention you something. You didn't that... even mention my favorite. Uh, how do you live? I'm guessing, right? No. No, no. I mean, how do you live? With, with, with... Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. How, uh, Born the Heron. I was like, what? That's what it used to be called. Oh yes. But yeah, yes, yes, Joe, yes. Joe, Joe, Joe Hisa- <laughs> I was like thrown for a second, but yeah, Joe uh, Hisashi uh, just. Yes. Always, he's the goat. You know, uh, I think that everything he has ever done is incredible, and this is one of his best scores ever. I, I was, I'm, you know, moved to tears uh, by it. It's, it's really incredible. Uh, and then other one, one other that I just want to mention uh, too is yep. um, Hans Zimmer in the Creator. Hans Zimmer is another uh, one of the goats. Um, so I, I at least have to mention his score there. Yes, absolutely. Um, then one more um, category before we get to our top 10 list. Uh, most overlooked. I have quite a few on here, actually. Um, Rye Lane was a film uh, from earlier this year, um, directed by Rain Allen Miller, stars D- David Johnson and Vivian Opera. Um, it, the synopsis is two 20-somethings, both reeling from bad breakups, connect over the course of an eventful day in South London, helping each other deal with their nightmare exes and potentially restoring their faith in romance. So I'd highly recommend checking that one out. Um, let's see. Showing Up, the Kelly Reichert film, was very, very good from this year. Um, a movie from uh, director... Jewel Taylor called They Clone Tyrone with John Boyega, Tayano Paris, and Jamie Foxx was a was a very interesting sort of sci-fi take on with a you know with a sci-fi take on like uh, you know systemic racism and and exploitation and things like that. Um, that was very. See, good. I can see why it was overlooked because it came out on digital the same day of Barbenheimer. So yeah, that'll, that'll do it, right? That that will fucking do yeah, it. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> A um, couple other things I didn't really mention this year, but uh, you know will be on my uh, honorable mention list. 
Uh, let's see. I mean, I mentioned what evil lurks a lot. Um, I'm trying to find something I didn't even mention yet, but I have mentioned pretty much everything. A thousand and one is on is on a lot of lists. Um, that's so I would, wouldn't say that's uh, you know overlooked or underrated. Uh, throw some out from from you, and I'll try to get back to you on that one. <laughs> yeah, I would I would say you know this is one that I think is gonna maybe show up. We'll talk about a little more in depth later. But how to blow up a pipeline? Yeah. Um, you know I mentioned the score from it, but I think the creator was one. It's a big budget or at least mid budget, uh, really good looking True. Uh, science fiction film from a guy with a real vision that kind of just disappeared into nothingness that I think was really good. Um, and then uh, those are movies. Um, I have one. I'll, I'll wait to give my number one pick in that, though. But performance-wise, I think Jude Law in um, Peter Pan and Wendy, he, he's incredible in that movie, giving yes. a performance of Captain Hook that is so deep and interesting and, and you know, it makes you want to go, like, fuck off, Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> it's, so, it's so good. <laughs> Uh, Dustin Hoffman catches random strays. He just woke up out of a cold sweat. It's like, what? What, what was that? <laughs> I felt the disturbance in the voice. <laughs> um, it's always weird. Like, we were talking earlier about, you know, um, having stuff on our list that's that's been talked about or that's going to get awards. Mm-hmm. I have something like Passages, which is getting a lot of talk. Um, similarly, with something like uh, All of Us Strangers, um, I, I saw Passages uh, this week. Just catch up on it, see if it would make my top ten. Um, so yeah, I guess that in, in a way that's that's overlooked, not not in the circles of you know highfalutin uh, right. film critics, but uh, definitely from the uh, public at large, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I have one that it was overlooked by film critics, by audiences, by pretty much everyone. Uh, a lot of people didn't even know this movie exists, uh, and that is Fingernails, uh, which oh, was yeah. kind of just unceremoniously dropped on Apple Plus out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, but I saw this movie. It stars, uh, you know, and two overlooked performances in it. Uh, stars Riz Ahmed, um, Jesse Buckley, and Jeremy Allen White. And yeah. I think it's spectacular. One of the best movies of the year. Like I said, I almost put it on my top ten list. Uh, didn't quite make the cut, but it's almost like Yorgos Lanthimos light. Like, I know it's one of his guys, but it's just yeah. set in one of those... It's kind of like sci-fi futures that's like five minutes in the future, like Inception, where there's like one thing in the world that's a little bit different. Um, and yeah, I, I, you know, of the, it's got like a 3.0 in Letterboxd. It's only got a couple checks of people that I follow on there. And, you know, all the film critics that I like and respect who I usually agree their opinions have given it pretty poor scores. It doesn't have a very good Rotten Tomatoes score. So I think this one has been really slept on by everyone across the board, but I loved it. Nice, yeah. I, I will probably check that out <laughs> sometime See, yeah. in the in the month or so. Yeah, no, I because I, I it was one of those that you know they mentioned on the film cast. I think uh, Devendra maybe maybe saw and was just like, yeah, it's it's okay. It's uh, it gave me the yeah. feeling of like you know a uh, a Black Mirror episode of of something like that. You know. Yeah, it's like a Black a Black Mirror. It's like a good Black Mirror episode. It's like right. San Junipero or something like that, where you're like, oh, there's a cool weird technology twist, but it's it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot less. Dep- it's like a, but it's also yeah. It is like a San Junipero because it's like one that isn't sad. It's or like it's like a, the USS Callister where it's yeah. just like, oh cool. This is this is like a, like a more uplifting Black Mirror episode. It's not as, like depressing as a lot of those episodes. You know. Yeah. All right. So with that, uh, why don't we actually take a break? <laughs> We've been going for a while already. Okay. Uh, let's take a break before we get to our top ten list of 2023. We'll see you then. And we're back talking top 10 films of 2023 
and I will kick us off. Like I said, uh, Derek, guess my top 10, my number 10 movie of 2023, please. All right. My guess for your number 10 is David Fincher's The Killer. Incorrect. Very, very close, oh. though. Very close. Uh, my number 10 of 2023 is uh, a movie that I, that I referenced before as being a movie that I just recently saw in the, within the past two weeks with Dion, actually, on... Is uh, that a Monday? Yeah, it was on Monday. My number 10 of 2023 is The Iron Claw. Morning. Pants tomorrow, please, David. Perry. I want you to join your brothers in the ring. Yes, sir. I love that. Woo! Now, we all know Carrie's my favorite, then Kev, then David, then Mike. But the rankings can always change. What do you want in life, Kevin Von Eric? More ribs. <laughs> I want to be with my family. You know, be with my brothers. What do you like to do with your brothers? I, I almost put that at number nine. I like like went back and forth. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we'll see. We'll yes. see how I do with the rest of it. <laughs> um, so yeah, the Iron Claw. Uh, I love Sean Durkin's movies. The Nest was my number two movie of 2020, right behind uh, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Um, I just had. I think he has a very interesting interesting style. The same very something that we saw. Like with um, the holdovers, he has this like um, tone and this texture that's very seventies. This movie takes place in the seventies, so it's, so it's right at home there. Um, like I said before, with the editing, I think it's it takes a lot of confidence. It takes a lot of uh, trust in your DP and your actors and your editor to let the camera just sit there. There's a lot of scenes in here where the camera just sits behind, sits back, and very slowly zooms in on the room they're in there's there's a many many scenes in this movie where guys are just in rooms and they're hurt and they're being yelled at and they're just depressed and and uh not in not in a good way and uh i think they're just some of the best performance i've seen from zach afron jerry jeremy ellen white harris dickinson all of these people more tyranny plays the mother in this she's very very good in this uh hulk holt mcnally uh mr fincher's guy back from way back in the day starting starting in alien 3 is fantastic in this as fritz von eric the patriarch or the uh sorry the matriarch of the uh von eric family uh lily james is also very good in this playing pam the uh the wife of zach efron's character uh, kevin von eric yeah, just just really really knocked me over. I knew I was gonna like this, but I didn't. I didn't. Again, speaking speaking about movies that we weren't we didn't know going into them would crack our top ten, but this one did at number ten. Yeah, no, this is this isn't a phenomenal film. Uh, it's a it's a movie that after you watch it, you're like, I need to call my brothers and tell them that I love them. Uh, this it really it really hit me pretty hard. Um, growing up with you know two younger brothers. Uh, yeah, this is a, a great sports film, I think. Um, a, a, it avoids a lot of the problems that I have with a lot of biopics. Uh, just just tragic, but also has an ending that is, manages to be pretty uplifting, um, despite how like many horrible things have happened to this family and then happened uh, in real life. Um, I, was, I was really impressed by this. Really incredible for performances by... Everyone in this, uh, Zac Efron, uh, Jeremy, Al- Jeremy Allen White, um, and one of two movies where uh, the end of the film 
uh, has someone choking their parent about to kill them and they at the last moment don't, which is, you know, uh, if I had a nickel for every time that happened, I'd have two <laughs> nickels, which is not a lot, but it's weird it's happened twice. <laughs> um, it, what, what was the other movie? I forget. The other one is, uh, spoiler alert, um, Bo is Afraid. Uh, that's oh, yes. because he ends up yes. almost choking his mom at the end of that movie, uh, which, you know, both of like, the yeah. nominees for worst parents of all time is the mom sure. in Bo is Afraid and the dad in The Iron Claw. Absolute piece of shit. I love, I love the opening, by the way, too, where it's the black and white and you just see... Uh, the dad back when he was wrestling and it's just this grainy black and white footage and he's just like stomping the shit out of somebody and it just it foreshadows just how his rage and anger and just um just shittiness is going to destroy this family yes um is this in your top 10 this was not this is it it's is a uh you know spoiler this was an honorable mention yeah, for okay. me uh, <laughs> but it's when i went into being like is this going to crack the top 10 and it didn't quite like i said there was this is just a good movie year um, in another year, it might have cracked it, uh, but not 2023. All right. So you're going to present your top, your number 10, um, and I have to guess. Yes. Uh, looking at this right now, it's probably too low, but I'm going to say, uh, I have to be honest, uh, my, my guess is Indiana Jones 5. That is incorrect. Uh, the My number 10 is Talk to Me. Light the candle to open the door. Blow it out to close it. Put your hand on it. Now say, talk to me. Talk to me. This is the horror film that I mentioned. Um, it's from the Philippus brothers, uh, who were YouTubers and uh, had great success online and making spooky things, and broke out into a you know, I was I was gonna say big budget, but it's still pretty pretty very small budget. It's a very indie film um, a horror movie, and they managed to do so much with so little. That's my favorite kind of horror film, is ones where it's all about what you don't see. And this movie is so smart in that it shows you, like, it shows you one scene of what you see when you grab this spooky hand, and then the rest of it is all just, you don't see the characters looking at it. I think it's a great film, uh, a great metaphor. This, sorry, I should have stopped. Is this anywhere higher up on your list? Do I need to stop? Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a great metaphor for dealing with depression and you know the ways that you can you lean on substances uh, because of that and the harmful effects that will have on you and the ones you love and just the cycle that it creates and also it's a movie with just a, a shitty protagonist uh, a shitty protagonist who you can relate to but you also just really want to see fail and that's my favorite kind of horror movie protagonist is just when they suck and then they lose at the end like they just like just get what they deserve yeah. at the end and so that's what talk to me did it's also australian which is cool it's fun uh that it's like some australian horror movie they do a lot of clever things where people like you know there's that classic scene at the beginning that doesn't seem like it's connected to anything to just set things up but they actually bring it back in later um it's a really creative uh macguffin in this movie uh so this is this is why I went back and forth on putting my lips, but I had to put it on. Had to have a horror movie. Had to have a indie movie, and I just really liked it a lot. 
Nice, very cool. Yeah, I, w- I would have to say, um, uh, you know, I'm still sticking with my guns, still going to say it's not a great year for horror, but yeah, this is probably um, one of my favorites, if not my favorite horror movie of the year, of 2023. Yep. Uh, let's see. So coming in back to me, my number nine. Derek, what do you think my number nine is? My prediction for your number nine is Barbie. Uh, incorrect. Um, you were okay. correct last time having the killer at number 10. But uh, okay, yeah. so I get a couple points from that. <laughs> you do, you <laughs> do. One off. Okay. Yeah. So right. uh, yeah, my number nine is the killer. Stick to your plan. Trust no one. Stick to the plan. Forbid empathy. Stick to the plan. Anticipate. Don't improvise. Stick to your plan. Never yield an advantage. Stick to the plan. Um, yeah, just uh, the Finch man coming back to what he does best. <laughs> Stylish dudes, be, you know, dudes, uh, uh, emotionless husk of uh, dudes that are emotionless husks doing violence to other people. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to think back to his other movies and see if there was like, you know, uh, music, musical drops, but I don't think so, right? I think the trailer for the uh, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo had the Karen O doing the cover of Immigrant Song, but that was just in the trailer. I think a lot of yeah, it has like that that opening with like the it's like a, almost a James Bond opening, which is ironic because yeah. it's Daniel Craig. But they have like <laughs> the um they have like the oil covered people and stuff like that. Yeah, but that's just like it's like a weird opening credits, so. Yeah, Fight Club doesn't. I mean, Gone Girl doesn't. But yeah, just a very, very stylish, slick uh, thriller. Um, you know, it's a very one of the best performances I've seen this year. My list going forward will be a lot of dudes, <laughs> a lot of dude performances. Because you're a sexist. That's okay. Exactly. Yeah, misogynist. I mean, it's not, but misogynist specifically. <laughs> um, but yeah, one of the best dude performances this year. Dude, dude rock this year is, is my motto. <laughs> or dudes, dudes rock last year. We'll see going forward if they still rock. But yeah, they they rock for now. Um, yeah, Mr. Mr. Fincher, the killer, my number nine. Okay. This yeah. This is it's it didn't crack my top ten list. Um, yeah. Uh, but it's it's a good movie. Yes. Uh, I think it's a I, as all of David Fincher's movies are. Uh, they, I don't think there's a, there's not a bad one in the bunch. I even like Alien Three. Um, and yeah, it's it's a movie where I'm like like overall, I don't know if it completely hangs together, but yeah. it's got so many great parts in it. Like like I mentioned the Tilda Tilda Swinton scene. It's got one of the best fights in any movie ever like despite this being a great year for action i think one of the best action scenes is actually in this movie which is much more of a thriller just visceral and bloody and just like where he's fighting florida man um just the sound (laughs) design in that scene is is so good so yeah i i respect this a lot i i like this movie quite a bit yes uh okay so uh your number nine uh coming up here um you're, you're number nine Oh, yeah, I have to guess your number got? nine yes. uh, is John Wick 4. No, not not quite. All uh, right. my, it, is, it is, though, a fourth film in a franchise that I love a lot. It is The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. What are The Hunger Games for? Are you, are you coming to the tree? The Hunger Games are to punish the districts. 
Those tributes don't have a choice. Your role is to turn these children into spectacles, not survivors. We're live! Smile. It's why we have teeth. Imagine it was your name that they pulled. Strange things happen here. I just want to know that somebody still cared about me. That I was still of value. Um, yeah, well, uh, I'm just going to say this is the best prequel ever. Uh, I think that, you know, like, 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 honestly, like, okay. think about right. it for a second. Okay. Think about it for a second. If you can think of a better prequel, let me know. Uh, and, you know, maybe you'll say uh, Indiana Jones 2, which I would disagree with. That movie's barely even a prequel. Um, it technically happens beforehand. But, yeah, this movie does all the things which prequels should do but don't, which is instead of making the world feel smaller, it makes the world feel bigger. You understand so much more about the world uh, you understand more about the games and why Pen M is the way it is, and you it really you don't sympathize with Snow or empathize with him either, but you understand him on a deep level. You understand why he is the way he is. It makes him so much more of an interesting villain in the the you know the original Hunger Games franchise. Uh, he's a great just he's somebody you were like. You're watching this movie, and it's it's all it's like Better Call Saul, which I think is you know it's a TV show, so it wouldn't count, but that's also uh, one of the great great prequels. And just like Saul, you're like you want this guy, you you kind of like this guy, and you want him to succeed, but you know he's going to have this downfall and become a dark, horrible person. And in you know this case, even much more of a worse person than even Saul would be. And you get him. He's uh, so he's great. There's some great performances. In this movie, you've got, um, you know, uh, you've got, of course, uh, Tom Blythe in the main role, Rachel Ziegler uh, in the in um, the kind of female lead, Lucy Gray uh, Bard, uh, Barrett. Uh, she's really good, great singing in this. Uh, then you've got people people like Peter Dinklage, uh, Hunter Schaefer, Viola Davis, and then Jason Swartz. Jason Schwartzman, this is his year. Like this is his year of just like doing weird supporting or like whatever performances. I thought he was phenomenal as Lucky Flickerman. So. Yeah, this one for me has to be on the list. Half of Godfather Two is a better prequel than this movie. <laughs> okay, that's half of a movie. That doesn't count. Godfather is that's that doesn't count. It's only half of Godfather. All right, uh, Wonka better prequel than. than no, this movie. no, no! Get the fuck out of here! Is Wonka on your top ten of twenty twenty three? No, it is not. Then shut. Okay. <laughs> uh, pray pray is a better sequel. Pray is a better prequel than Ballad of Balls and Snakes. Songbirds, my friend, and I mean, <laughs> no. and no, Jeez. just no. <laughs> That's pretty, you don't pick. like this movie? I haven't seen it. Honestly, I haven't seen it. Then what the? F you can't I even haven't. judge it. You can't say it's a better prequel if you haven't seen it. This movie is phenomenal. I like uh, Prey a lot. I like Prey uh, a lot. Yeah. Um, Yes. I mean, technically, I guess Prey is a prequel. It's more of just a movie that is set in the city. Because it's, it's not like this is like you find out like the origins of Dutch or something <laughs> like that. Like, All right. Um, but yeah, okay. Yeah. You could make that argument. Okay. I will um, and I have. But yeah. you, well, you can't because you haven't seen the Hunger Games <laughs> prequel. So Yeah. Okay. It's, so it's not your... as good as Prey is good. It's, it's not, it was not on my top 10 list, though, of the year it came yeah. out. So. All right, so that was that your number was, nine. That was, that was my number nine. Okay, so back to me. Uh, what back do you think? You. What do you think? My number eight is Derek. 
My number eight pick for you, or I think your number eight pick, is Anatomy of a Fall. Wow. Really? Wow. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yes! <laughs> yeah, yes. that's incredible. All right. My nice. number eight is Anatomy of a Fall. Tu m'as dit que tu avais entendu tes parents, maman, t'es sorti de la maison, c'est ça En fait, j'entendais pas vraiment les mots, j'avais que des bouts de voix, mais ça ah, faisait... Ah, quand même, alors, euh, si t'avais pas les mots, du coup, tu peux pas savoir si c'était une dispute ou pas. Enfin, je sais, je sais ce que j'ai entendu. So, as you know, the autopsy report is uh, inconclusive about the cause of death. Stop. I did not kill him. That's not the point. Il parle de tromperie. I was honest about it. Mais vous l'avez pas été l'année de sa mort avec cette fille avec qui vous l'avez trompé, pourquoi il y a quand même quelque chose d'un peu étrange dans cette situation. Vous admettez qu'il était jaloux Non, je ne sais pas. Allez, écoutez-vous, on a l'impression que vous l'avez trompé continuellement. Quand il commence à se reprocher des trucs, moi je préfère mon aller. Tu peux pas me dire qui était le plus énervé des deux Non. Est-ce que vous pouvez nous dire à quoi il fait référence quand il parle C'est directé par Justine Triant, ma première movie que j'ai vu de elle. Stars the amazing Sandra Huller, Swan Arland, and Milo Machado Granier, and a dog named Snoopy. I don't know if that's the... Snoop. the His name is Snoop. Snoop. Mm-hmm. His name is Snoop. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. yeah um, in addition to Do's Rock, um, I also, my list also includes a lot of acting rocks, a lot of uh, faces, a lot of slow pan-ins, a lot of speeches, a lot of monologues, a lot of people acting and yelling and doing all a lot of that sort of stuff. That's, uh, aside from this year being Do's Rock, it's also... Yeah, monologues rock, um, you know, long scenes rock. Uh, just that, I love that stuff. So th- this all this had all of it in there. Also, I love uh, like you're talking about um, earlier this week, or maybe it was a week and a half ago about uh, Spider-Man Three. You know, the uh, <laughs> I am bringing Spider-Man Three, talking about uh, Anatomy of a Fall. Um, I like uh, movies Equally that present good movies. <laughs> I'm like just movies. kidding. One is clearly be- one is clearly better than the other, and that's Spider-Man Three. Continue. I like movies that have ambiguousness in it or ambiguity. I can't say ambiguity, so I say ambiguousness. Ambiguity. Uh, ambiguity. Ambiguity. Yes, that word. Um, yes, it presents the audience with gray, a moral moral grayness. Um, and spoiler alert for this movie. Uh, if you haven't seen it, skip ahead. But the movie presents does or actually the movie doesn't present a concluding. Um, a, a a solid conclusion to did did the woman do it or not? You're sort of left up it left to the left up to the audience to whether or not she did it. And my interpretation was that it was a murder suicide. I think the man was her husband was drunk and he was suicidal and he wanted to die and she wanted to kill him. And I think he probably tripped and she probably pushed him and he allowed himself to fall and she allowed him to fall. I think that's probably what happened. But again, that's not really the the crux of the movie and that's not really the point of the movie uh, is to determine um, – it's not the point of the movie is not to determine uh, who did what. It's more about it's more about that stuff about how the prosecutor and how prosecutors in general, uh, if they don't have compelling evidence, they'll they'll attack your character and they'll talk about the extraneous stuff of like, did you write this book? You stole this book from him and he hated you for it and blah blah. blah. That's why you fought. Okay, it has nothing to do with the case. <laughs> um, just yeah, Sandra Huller, one of the best uh, performances I've seen in a very long time. In this, uh, like I said, great, great screenplay, great editing, um, great, great house, great, great uh, environment. Um, yeah, fantastic film. Anatomy of Fall, my number eight. Yeah, uh, this is a film that I I also saw that uh, it's it's not top cracking my my top ten or my honorable mentions, um, but 
Uh, I think that there's some interesting stuff in it for sure. Uh, really yeah. good screenplay. Um, like you said, this is a... Uh, your, by the way, your assessment makes no sense because why would she push him off and let the kid discover it? It doesn't seem like her character to me. But like I said, that's okay. not the point. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The point is to be... Uh, you know, to it's it's this it's this movie about how important context is and how you know you can take snippets of things and it's not going. People think that gives you the whole story, but it really gives you nothing. And that it is even it is impossible to really understand another person, even when you are married to them, even when you're spending your life with them, even when they're your your parent. Um, so yeah, all that stuff I found really interesting. I will say it's not the best movie about how impossible it is to know another person and how being in a relationship is just weird and complicated and the person you're with might be uh like not the best uh with a german bisexual in the middle of it i think that's passages (laughs) (laughs) it's very specific (laughs) right (laughs) exactly it's it's not even the best one of those this year i think yeah yeah. so so i gotta give that to passages uh but still a good movie still a good movie it's a very good movie yes all right, so that was my number eight. I'm just checking here. We're creeping up onto some stuff that we have to play the clips for. Um, so that was my number eight. We'll go to your number eight. Let me see. Let me find my list for you. All right, so I'm going to say, Derek, your number eight is Air. Uh, afraid not. Uh, afraid my not. number eight, yeah. And this is one that I had mentioned. Uh, a lot of people consider this a 2022 movie. Although it did not get, it was it had one of those like releases to get an Oscar release in like in L.A. and New York uh, in 2022. Didn't get a proper release till 2023, so I'm counting it as 2023. And that is Woman Talking. It was all waiting to happen before it happened. You could look back and follow the breadcrumbs along the path that led to violence. When we looked back. It had been everywhere. It is a part of our faith to forgive. We would be forced to leave the colonies if we do not forgive these men. None of you will listen to reason. We know that we've not imagined these attacks. We know that we are bruised and terrified. Hope for the unknown. Like I mentioned, uh, this is one of the best screenplays I think I've ever seen or ever, uh, you know, witnessed, I guess. Uh, The some absolutely phenomenal female performances. Just, it's like, what if we had all of the greatest actors of our current generation and the generation before all in a movie? And this movie is doing everything that I think people talked about Barbie doing. Um, Whereas Barbie felt, it's still, Barbie's still great, but it's very service level in its term uh, ideas about feminism and female autonomy and, um, all that stuff where this dives a lot more deeper and a lot it's a it's you know a lot more intense uh but it and it also touches on you know uh people who are like you know it addresses like you know turfs essentially like it's like yeah these are women who are trying to break away from this patriarchal society but they're also uh kind of alienating this trans man uh and you know the struggles that he's gone through uh it's it's really phenomenal it's the way it talks about the ways that the um you know, misogyny is created not only by women, but or not only by men, but by like you know women who are benefiting from it or have been harmed by it, and just kind of want to see the system of harm continue because it's what they've gone through. Uh, it, it it touches on so many things on so many levels that I can't even really begin to scratch the surface of here. Uh, it's an interesting look for a film. It's very washed out. Um, 
So yeah, all around, I it's a movie I, I unfortunately did not. I wanted to go back to it. I haven't gotten around to it since early 2023, uh, but I think it has to be mentioned here. Didn't get a chance to put it on my list last year because, as I said, it didn't really come out last year. Uh, so it has to be here at number eight for me. Yeah, I uh, really enjoyed it as well when I saw it. Um, should I look up if it won? Did it win uh, best screenplay, or was it? It was nominated. For it best did. Screenplay. It did win best screenplay. Thank God yes. it did. Because um, goddamn, was that the? And also, it was like the tenth uh, nomination for best picture, right? Yeah, it crept in there. It was. It yeah, I don't know. There. Like, it's not like there's like an order of best pictures, but it was one of the ten. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Again, t- talking about Josie Buckley, probably one of my favorite uh, actresses working today. Definitely, we'll mm-hmm. see uh, fingernails for her performance in that. Yep. Uh, yeah. Let's see. So that was your number eight. Um, so now I'm you... guessing your number seven. You're guessing uh, my number seven. Yeah. Let's see if I can get it right on one one more time. Uh, let's say Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. No, sir. It is not. Ah, okay. I was, uh, let's see, I was trying to go for two in a row. All right. What, what is it? Unfortunately, no. I missed it by quite a bit. I'll mention, I'll, I'll say this position when I get to honorable mentions. Right. But my actual number seven is Godzilla minus one. Is this higher on your list? It is not. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, Skazella minus one. Just one of those that came out of nowhere. Just so, sort of like, um, sort of like the Iron Claw. I did hear about the Iron Claw earlier in the year than I did uh, Godzilla minus one. But it's still when I saw it and I heard all of the, all of the fervor. Again, it's a it's a rare movie that comes out of nowhere. Has a lot of fervor. Has a lot of um, had a lot of buzz, a lot of hype around it. Lived up to the hype. Lived up to all that stuff. Uh, exceeded it in some ways. Um, yeah, one one of the best again action movies from this year. Really well shot action, um, but again, it's not about that stuff. It's about the people. I think it does that stuff very well. Has has very, uh, <clears throat> I guess I would say overt uh, homages to things like Jaws to people like you and I who see the movies like this over and over again, and we'll spot that stuff and we'll pick that stuff out. Um, very incredible performances. I love <clears throat> I love uh, movies that where it's you know it's getting the game together, but each of the gang has a specific sort of look to them. Um, and and that, I think that leads to the feeling of loss and a feeling of grief when, or it's a feeling of trepidation when you see these people in danger, um, especially the last moment when uh, Godzilla is doing it, about to do the atomic blast and everyone's just sort of like, you know, consigned to, to being killed, to being vaporized by the blast. Um, that, that slow motion moment is probably, I should have mentioned that in the best moments of the year because that was one of them. Um, yeah, and again, Great performances, great uh, storytelling on a very small budget. Um, Takashi Yamazaki definitely will be looking forward to uh, the next thing they do. Uh, So yeah, Godzilla minus one, my number seven. Yeah, very very great film. Um, You know, one that it didn't crack my top ten like like we said uh, or uh, my own mentions, but this is a very good movie. It's a I'm I'm not a huge Godzilla fan, uh, but this one I really enjoyed because. It put the emphasis on the people. You really cared so much about yeah. the people. Godzilla is there as a 
a monster and a metaphor for nuclear destruction and uh, just the, you know, what Japan had been going through coming out of this terrible war and, you know, feeling tremendous guilt uh, for this terrible war and uh, this, you know, this guy who has survivor's guilt. And like we talked about in the episode when we covered it, um, realizing that like human life does matter and the his arc that he has to go on and the characters around him have to go on where it's like you know, I love that they are like we're going to do this without losing anybody we're, we're not going to sacrifice anybody here uh, to kill Godzilla and Godzilla is just so mean and scary he's not the yeah. savior like he is in so many movies he's not goofy he is terrifying it's yeah. it's very you know it, it draws a lot from Spielberg you know from you know Jaws obviously from Jurassic Park um this movie is just a a great monster movie. Yes, indeed. Um, so getting to, to our number sevens here, right? You are uh, yes. Your number seven. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and guess. Uh, I'm going to guess it's one of the heavy hitters. I'm going to guess it's Barbie. Nope. Uh, it no. is one you you. It's the one you guessed at my number nine, and that is John Wick Chapter Four. Uh. Yeah, John Wick Chapter Four. Uh, I'm I've always liked the John Wick films, um, but I feel I, not quite as much as a lot of people. I feel like I felt like especially since they they were kind of diminishing returns for me as the world kept getting bigger. I felt like they were getting much more less interesting, and so I actually didn't see this one right away. I haven't seen any of the John Wick films in theaters, um, actually including this one technically. Um, but uh, I had a chance to uh, actually watch this. Um, and I think it was, you know, it is it is important how you see a movie. And I think this was maybe the perfect way to watch John Wick Chapter Four, which is this big, beautiful, action epic with neon lights and fights down staircases and crazy rules that you kind of don't care about but are awesome. And Donnie Yen and like a guy with a dog that's his enemy, but then he's his friend and and just you know, Keanu Reeves just giving a great performance in this and as a yeah. man who's running out of time. And I watched this. Um, there was I went on a cruise earlier this year, and I was on a boat. Uh, obviously, that's where you take a cruise. And uh, <laughs> and there was a midnight showing of this because they would do like movies up on the deck. And for some reason, nice. at midnight, one of the nights, they were like John Wick Four. <clears throat> I was at the club, had a bunch of drinks, and was like, "Cool, I'm gonna go up, chill on the deck, hang out in my lounge chair, and watch John Wick Four in the middle of the Pacific Ocean." And it was it had a fucking blast. It was so <laughs> much fun. This is the best John Wick movie. This is one of the best action movies I've seen this decade. No question. I absolutely love it. If this is the last John Wick movie, this is a perfect place to end it. But it also is like, if they make more, I'm okay with that. I I, I really love this movie. I, I want to watch it again. I don't know. I can't replicate the incredible situation where I got to watch it that first time. But man, it is, it is a blast. John Wick is just doing his thing and... Whereas the rules and all that stuff, which felt like a hindrance in part three, they just felt like, you know what? Let's just go with it. Let's just have some fun. He's just out here killing. And it's like, oh, the Marquis, you have to kill the clown from it. It's like, okay, cool. (laughs) You know, like you just go with it. And they had clearly had so much. They gave them a huge budget to kind of just do whatever the fuck they wanted. And they were just like, we're just going to do some of the most interesting, inventive action that we've ever done much like i mentioned you know in the uh the talk about the editing and stuff as extraction how you're like let's give these stunt guys like a chance to direct these big budget action movies and there's a reason that the john wick series has hit so hard and why this is kind of the the perfect john wick movie 
Yes, sir. Dudes rock. The year of dudes rock <laughs> <laughs> continues with John Wick 4. Indeed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of those you're just like, yeah, he's getting older, just like Tom Cruise, just like all these guys. I'm fascinated, Derek. I don't know if you are, to just see how long these guys can just go. You know, he's, I'm imagining Keanu is near 60. I know Tom is 60. Just like, are we going to watch these guys just, just grind themselves into dust in front of our <laughs> eyes over and over again? Like, seriously, how long can these guys do it? But yeah, he's. He's there for now. There for yeah. now. So very cool. Yep, that was your number seven. Seven. Uh, yeah. Seven. Yeah. So uh, go ahead and guess my number six. Now your number six, I'm gonna guess, is a movie that is not gonna be on my top ten, and that is Rotting in the Sun. No, sir. Now, okay. so the thing with this is, I have to play a clip of my mom because this is my mom's. Huh. My number six is also my mother's uh, number one favorite movie of 2023. Good evening, um, Derek and Damien. Um, Derek, I'm Damien's mom, and, and we went to quite a few movies this year, and I just wanted to share my favorite, which was Maestro. I just like all the performances and how they all were in, pretty intense, and um, I love the relationships in that movie, and um, that was it. That was my mom. Thanks, mom, for calling in, <laughs> talking about your favorite movie of the year and my number six, Maestro. I love people so much that it's hard for me to be alone. That music, it keeps me glued to life. I don't even know how much you need me to. I might. If summer doesn't sing in you, then nothing sings in you. Never think of his name. I'm gonna pull it up here real quick. Bradley Cooper, uh, Mr. Bradley Cooper, second di- directorial uh, effort. Obviously, starring Carrie Mulligan. Very, very much became. I noticed her name is first here in the cast list. Uh, very much became a Carrie Mulligan film um, near the near the end there, about halfway in, and near the end there, it's very much came became about her. Um, you know, spoilers for this movie and spoilers for all these movies going forward. Uh, she does. I think her character passes away about at the halfway mark or. Uh, two-thirds of the way into the movie um and then yeah so it's it's, it's very much about her um up until then and that, that at that point um incredible performance by both of them um you know this is very much in line with things like whiplash and uh movies about artists um uh, you know, sacrificing all of the stuff that that you need to do in order to be the best at, at what you do. Um, it's in terms of biopics. You know, again, I think there was another one I saw earlier this year with like um, Iron Claw, which was you know think about that movie and you, you anytime you see a biopic now you're like, well, it's the uh, not Ricky Bobby. What was the <laughs> parody uh, biopic? Oh, Walk Hard. Uh, Walk hard, yeah. You always think yeah, about yeah, walk yeah. hard when you see a biopic these yeah. days. I think it do- has done the best. Maestro has is the best at sort of avoiding those pitfalls of modern biopics, of just focusing on what this guy did in these years of his life, and also uh, I think focusing on Carrie Mulligan's character Felicia Montalriga, um, focusing on her character a lot. I think helped avoid. A lot of those pitfalls you see uh, because you took the focus away from Leonard Bernstein himself. Um, I do. I think this is, you know, a lot of people are saying it's it's just 
it's just that performance. It's just a movie about the greatness of Leonard Bernstein. And I think it does a disservice talking about it in that way because, you know, I think we do take um, we take we take for uh, granted the amount of representation we see now. I think it's been it's a very still a very new thing. I think ten years ago you wouldn't have the Matt Bilmer character. Ten years ago you wouldn't have had that relationship. You wouldn't have had that as spotlighted as forwarded as it is now. I think. Um, it's not something we should be thankful for. I think it's something should have been there from the beginning, but uh, it is something to be noted. And uh, so I, pra- I praise that movie for that as well. And uh, yeah, just the, the scene at the end, near the end, where he's doing the, um, I forget the actual piece of music, but it is this incredible, like two and a half minute, three minute sort of performance that he does to a concerto. Um, yeah, re- really incredible just, just for that scene. So yeah, my number six, Maestro. Very nice, very nice. Uh, I actually didn't get to finish this one. I started watching it, but then I was like running out of time, so I was like, ah, yeah. I just threw on um, no hard feelings. So I did yeah. see the first half, um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's a good movie. I think good performances. Uh, you know, I'm glad that you know there is that representation of a a Jewish uh, queer person, even if it is he is played by a Gentile straight man in Bradley Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and like unfortunate prosthetics maybe on his nose and like yeah Princeton didn't yeah. have that big of a nose that's kind of not great but uh yeah you know that's that's really cool uh i'd like that this is your mom's pick uh it's nice to hear from her uh you know she seems <laughs> like a, a very nice lady uh hello, yes. hello how's it going mom uh, sherman uh and uh how, how come she, how come you don't have an accent you know like that's my question is is i can tell where she's from i can't tell where you're from yeah, I think I might get lost there in the progression. Okay, <laughs> I don't. I'm not like the the when we talk about like accents of north northeasterners. It's just I've heard that we say we don't pronounce T's like I'll say mountain, and there is no T there. If you notice, like we'll lose T's and things like that. But generally, it's like what accent are you talking about? <laughs> from Maine, <laughs> people from Maine have an accent. People from Boston, obviously, people from. Yeah, around those areas have an accent, but you know, I think if we took me and somebody from like Ohio, I think we sound pretty similar. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll have to go back and listen. I didn't really. What what sort of accent were you picking out there from her? Uh, when she said she was your ma. Oh ma, yeah. <laughs> I think she's probably playing up for the camera or for the microphone or whatever. <laughs> oh, well done. Well done. <laughs> so that was my number six. My mom's number one. Maestro, Derek, what is your number six? Uh, let me guess. Your number six is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. My number six is one you had guessed at my number 10, which is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Hitler made mistakes. And with this, I will correct them all. You stole it. Then you stole it. And then I stole it. It's called capitalism. Fasten your seatbelt. There might be some turbulence. You've taken your chances, made your mistakes, and now a final triumph. Indy! Give him hell, Indiana Jones! A few times in my life I've seen things. I've been tortured with voodoo. Been shot nine times, including once by your father. been looking for this all my life. Uh, 
And this is one I probably could have put on the, you know, the overlooked. Although everybody, a lot of people saw this movie, but I think that the reaction to it was was fairly mixed. But yeah, for me, I, I thought this movie was phenomenal. Um, I actually rewatched the beginning of it last night. Uh, that whole extended opening sequence uh, where he's on the train, and it's basically, you know, like what would what would we have made if we had made a, a fourth Indiana Jones movie in the '90s or a fifth Indiana Jones movie in the '90s, um, where they're going after the spear, and then it becomes, you know, they the thing that they're really going after, which is uh, the um, the dial of destiny itself, the uh, anti Antichiron, uh, however you pronounce it, the the dial invented by Archimedes, and it becomes this really interesting movie about time and about how we spend our time and when you feel like you are past your time and past your usefulness. Uh, I think that's a really interesting recurring theme that comes up again and again in the movie. I think that Harrison Ford does an incredible job with that. It's a movie that feels like it's very um, uh, reverent of the Indiana Jones films that came before it without being feeling like overly reliant on it to the point where the ending of this movie kind of goes off the rails in a pretty spectacular way, which, you know, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Indiana Jones 5, uh, when he goes back in time, they go back to to uh, ancient ancient Greece uh, when it is getting attacked. The siege of, um, uh, what was it? The siege of, um, not, it was in Sicily uh, and uh, uh, Syracuse. And yeah, the kind of, you know, Indiana Jones feeling like he's past his time. He wants to just die in the past and him not being, not doing that. People being like, no, we're not going to let you do that. This is not your time. Uh, you are not past your usefulness. Um, and I love the, you know, that these villains are, as they are so often in Indiana Jones movies, completely misunderstand the thing they want to control. Uh, he thinks he can control time. He can rewrite history. He can so that he can be the better Hitler, and uh, so that the Nazis can win the war. But he was <laughs> never going to win. He, I, that's my, it's my favorite kind of time travel too, where time is set, and he doesn't understand that. Um, it's just a great finale to a really great series. Um, it's it's not nowhere near as good as Indiana Jones one or three. I will of course say that those are two perfect movies. But honestly, I think it is. It is third in my overall rankings of Indiana Jones films. So, yeah, I I loved this movie. Yeah, I think the response a lot of people had to it was kind of muted, given the fact that it had a $300 million budget, um, just barely made its, its money back domestically, I believe. Uh, three, Wikipedia has it at $384 million, but I'm assuming that was just uh, domestic, right? Yeah, yeah I, right. I, I, I'm, it, I know it did not do well, and... You know who gives a shit? Like it's a great movie. Like I don't, I don't care. Like it, I, you can see that it, it, the money's on the screen. It's not like the three hundred million dollars sure. was not well yeah. spent. Even in those scenes, like I, there's sometimes when you, at the beginning when you see the flashlight in Harrison Ford's face, it's a little off. But when he's on that train and he's running around, you're like, this is young Harrison Ford. What is going? On? Like I don't know. It, it worked for me. <laughs> Indeed. Um, let's see. So we're getting to our top five right now. Uh, speaking of small bladders, why don't we take another break <laughs> before we get to our top five, and uh, we will be right back. And we're back uh, doing our top five uh, best movies of 2023. Uh, I'm up with my number five. Derek, what do you think is my number five? Uh, I had predicted for you how to blow up a pipeline. Uh, no, sir. Uh, that is not my number five. Uh, my number five is the same as Dion's number five. Let's hear from him. Hey, it's your boy DJ, former co-host. Can I say something? 
fulfilling my pod civic obligation to all my adoring fans and to my number one guys, Damien and Derek. I'm here to let you know my number one movie of 2023. Turn your volume up so you can hear my sweet, sweet voice, but then turn it on real fast so your eardrums don't blow when I drop this bomb. Up and high my style, baby. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, Christopher Nolan. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, so Nolan... Christopher Nolan, and he's in the leap form with this masterful character study of the man that rewrote warfare, Mr. Oppenheimer. The movie's beautiful and brilliant, while dark and dreadful. A magnificent and borderline unreal cast ranging from Cillian Murphy, Robert Downey, and Matt Damon, down to the resurgence of Josh Hartnett, and yeah, even the head elf from the Santa Claus who gave Tim Allen all that shit. Bernard. That was his name, Bernard. That's not the actor's name, but that was the elf's name. It's rife with political intrigue, gallows humor, and snappy dialogue, set to the backdrop of brooding, ominous music. The tension is set out of the gate and lingers like fallout even after the bomb is dropped. See what I did there? Masterful sound editing and cinematography on display with scenes like the bomb testing in a thunderstorm. The bomb detonates and for seemingly an eternity, there's only silence and flames. Excellent execution of less is more, never showing the true devastation of the bomb, but using Oppenheimer and the audience's knowledge to deliver the blow. This is a classic Nolan touch of black and white intertwined with color and the seamless transition at the end. Shades of memento. This is Nolan at its finest and perhaps even a level beyond. He has become death, destroyer of anyone else's hopes getting an Oscar this year. Much love, boyos. That was uh, Dion, former former co-host of Can I Say Something, calling with his number one film of 2023, Oppenheimer, which is my number five. Yeah, this movie blew me away. Well, well hold on. <laughs> so, well, yes. First of all, uh, stop sharing the screen because I'm getting my echo now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, second yep. of all, this is the first. This I do have this higher on the list. So you have it higher. Pin, gotcha. I do have this higher. <laughs> Put a pen uh, in it. Of course, I'm going to put it explode later. Yeah, exactly. It's not like I'm not going to have Oppenheimer on my list uh, at some point. So yeah, first first crossover for us. Uh, nice. Who knows? Maybe there'll be more, right. but uh, yeah, could, this could one, be more. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about we'll talk about later. <laughs> okay, so uh, I have to guess your number five. Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess your number five is uh, Guardians Three. Wrong again, my friend. Okay. My number five is. Uh, you know, we just talked or or we're going to talk about soon a film by a uh, a master filmmaker, uh, but this one is from a different master filmmaker, uh-huh. also about um, the kind of fallout of World War II, and that is the Boy and the Heron. Mahito. So you made it. Mother. Have a seat. It's this way, Mahito. A lot of strange things happen in this place. I just hope he stays safe. Save me. Save me, Mahito. What exactly are you? Your mother. She's awaiting your rescue. I'll be your guide. What is this place? This world is filled with the dead. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is, you know, I'm a huge, huge Miyazaki guy. I think he is an absolute master. Uh, and this is, you know, this is the film coming out, his like fourth or fifth retirement film. Um, 
but yeah, this one, it's, it's one of those vibes movies where on an intellectual level, things don't really 100% make sense. Uh, not that you can't follow it, because you clearly can follow the plot and the story, uh, but it's much more a film about emotion and visuals and really uh, a visceral feeling uh, that you go through in this world of animation, in a world that could only exist in animation. Even in this world where anything can be recreated with CGI, I don't think anything could really ever look like this. Even American animation can't look like this. And it doesn't look like any other films that Miyazaki's ever done because uh, he didn't do as much of it. Um, and that's why it was delayed for so long. It was supposed to originally come out with the 20, to coincide with the 2020 Olympics, which were also, of course, delayed. But it got delayed <laughs> further and further because uh, he just can't work as fast because he is a guy who just had his 83rd birthday uh, just uh, like a week or two ago. Uh, and yeah, so, he, so a lot of other animators came in and worked on this. And it's this really collaborative process and it honestly more than any film i've ever seen feels like it sums up a director's entire career uh where it brings in the stuff his more kind of like down-to-earth serious films that he would do the film that originally was supposed to be uh his last film um which the wind rises which is about a you know the world war ii and the guilt that uh, people would feel during the fall of that it's about this boy who loses his mother uh, much like Miyazaki himself did, and but then it also goes into this really rich fantasy world with which has these cute little creatures, but then it has these intense moments of action, and it's it's so brilliantly stunning. Like watching this thing on a big screen and feeling these emotions, letting the sound hit you, letting the dialogue hit you, letting these visuals that are unlike not only. Not only like anything that American audience, this is even unlike Miyazaki films, like that first scene where it's they're going through the fire and it's just this weird washed out. It's it looks so cool, so good. It's clearly very autobiographical um, about this old master who is trying to he's built this fantasy world and he's trying to impart this on the next generation. And you know, some people have said that that's Miyazaki's mentor. A lot of people think that's Miyazaki himself and the boy. In it is his son, um, you know, who he has a very complicated relationship with, who is an animated director on his own, and Gayo, Goyo Miyazaki, um, who is maybe not the most beloved director. Um, and just kind of the ways that we build up these these things, and we, like, this is something great. We're going to pass on to the next generation. And it's like, actually, is this built on blood and sweat and tears and these systems that are no longer need to be in place? And what does that all mean for the world going forward what does this art really mean what is reckoning with this legacy mean uh and miyazaki who has said multiple times his he's like thinks he's very conflicted about his own career this feels like a real impressive powerful final statement that is a great metaphor it's a great fantasy film and it's a great movie about a much like you know we're going to obviously talk about oppenheimer much like godzilla minus one which came out in back-to-back -back weeks. It's kind of incredible that there was two number one Japanese language films at the American box office in back-to-back -back yeah. weeks, and they're both these reckonings of post-World War II and the guilt that Japan has felt for that. It's so many things, and it's so many more things than I, even I've mentioned. But I have to stop talking at some point. Uh, but then, <laughs> Boy and the Heron. Boy and the Heron, How Do You Live? Yeah, fantastic film. I'll just say it's it's 
two spots out of my top 10. It's number 12. Uh, I tried to find a spot for it. At the last minute, again, going back to how long we were thinking about this, um, that was in there for quite a while. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic movie. I saw it in English. I really want to see it um, in Japanese. Um, I think the, you know, again, talking about things, we'll go back to think, go back to looking at these movies from this year. Um, probably one of the last movies that are going to be um, constructed like this. Um, hand-drawn animation is going the way of the dodo. Not the way of the heron, but the way of the dodo. Um, yeah, the animation is incredible. Thank you. Uh, the animation, yeah, like you said, is incredible. Uh, one of his best movies, one of my favorite movies since, you know, Spirit Away, all that stuff, Howl's well, Moving Castle. I very much liked um, his last one, uh, uh, The Wind. You, the, the, wind, wind rises. the Wind Rises. The Wind Rises, I liked that a lot. Um, that could have worked as a... Uh, as a um, last film on his career i think this works um just as well if not better um so yeah i agree with everything you said definitely want to see this in japanese but again uh it is uh noted that the um acting that the american actors were very good as well um again a performance that i don't think anybody would have known if you didn't if you didn't look at the names robert, robert Pattinson playing the gray heron was really, really, really incredible. He um, sounds exactly like the Japanese guy. It's amazing. Yes, he does. He, he, he did an incredible performance there. Uh, Gimma Chan as Natsuko, uh, Christian Bale as Soichi, Soichi Maki, um, Mark Campbell as the Grand Uncle, Florence Pugh as Kiriko, William Defoe as the Noble Pelican, Dave, Dave, DePiece, Dave, but, uh, <laughs> Dave Bautista as the Parakeet King. Uh, fantastic American performances. Uh, but yeah. Great, great movie. Yeah. Well spoken about it. Yeah. yeah, and I didn't, I didn't even mention the way that this is almost like a, like a, like a petite mama where it's like this guy going to meet his yeah. mom and like reckoning with that, which is you know something that also happens with uh, another film, um, All of Us Strangers, uh, yeah. this year. Uh, but it's yeah, it's it's you know it's where he meets her at the same age and they go on this crazy adventure like Spirited Away style. So good, it's so good. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that was your number five. Moving up to the number four uh, film of 2023 for me was Poor Things. This is Bella. Bye, bye. Bella, this is Mr. McCandles. Hello, Bella. No, she's an experiment. Good evening. Her brain and her body are not quite synchronized. But she's progressing at an accelerated pace. Tell me, where did she come from? I shall. For it is a happy tale. Huh? Yep. I oh, get to sorry. guess. <laughs> sorry, I forgot. Uh, what's your, what was your guess? Well, what was okay. your guess? Well, you're not going to believe me, but my guess was poor things for you. <laughs> okay. And the no, reason, I wait, you. can I, can yeah, I, can I tell you yes. the reason for yeah. this? It's because yes, yes, yes. almost every list that I've seen with poor things on the top 10 has been number four. So I was like, well, <laughs> fuck it. I'll just put Amy at number four for poor things. <laughs> like for no other reason. Like I was like, you texted me that you liked it a lot. So I was like, it's probably on his top 10. And yeah. like for some reason, it doesn't matter what the top three are, what five through ten is. It just it sits there at four. So thank you for proving my theory correct. <coughs> yes, yes, um, yeah, incredible. Uh, one of the best Lanthimos movies I've seen. I, I've been a fan of his for a long time. 
I love his direction. I love his, uh, he has this dark whimsy, like Wes Anderson had the light, you know, light color, but also light in tone whimsy. Lanthimos has this very dark whimsy. Um, what's the other word they use for Wes Anderson? Whimsy, whimsical and, uh, Quirky? Uh, quirksical? Yes, thank you. Quirksical, thank you. That's exactly what I was looking for. It's it's quirky and it's whimsical, uh, but again, dark dark version of that. And this is very much that. It's like a Tim Burton, Tim Burton quirky and whimsical. Um, like I said before, John Pierre Jeunet, the uh, Alien Resurrection director, and uh, City of Lost Children, and those movies, very reminiscent of that. Uh, it's got some Del Toro references in there with those set decorations and the costuming. Again, um, Emma Stone, great year for her with this and the curse um, out on, on TV. But yeah, I referenced, referenced her performance earlier, and it's one of the most. It's unhinged, but it's also controlled. You know, we were referencing the the dance sequence before, and that seems like the epitome of this movie, or or it's a it's the concentrated uh, uh, performance in that scene is everything in her performance throughout throughout the, throughout the entire movie. You know, it seems uh, just her throwing a thing out there and trying it, but it's also very controlled. It's incredible. Um, you know, Mark Ruffalo is great in this movie. Willem Dafoe uh, working under some heavy prosthetic. Uh, I've never seen really uh, Remy Youssef before in anything, but uh, he was very good in this. Uh, Gerard Carmichael, I loved his stand-up, and I loved um, uh, On the Count of Three, the movie he did. Um, actually, he, him and Christopher Abbott were in the movie uh, on the count of three. Christopher Abbott, uh, no spoilers for this for, for the plot of the movie, but he does appear at like the 50-minute mark in this. Um, he's very good in this. Um, some other people, uh, I won't spoil it for anybody that hasn't seen this, but some other people do pop up that you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> that's out, out of nowhere. Um, yeah, incredible. Like I said, incredible score, incredible direction, great editing, and one of the most unique and... Uh, beautiful and broken and sad and joyful performance I've seen in a very long time from Emma Stone. Yeah, she's she is by far the the front front runner for winning the uh, best actress of the year. Maybe her and uh, Margot Margot Robbie uh, for next year. So yeah, incredible. Poor things. My number four. Yeah, this is one that was just sitting outside my top ten. Um, it's one that I. This is the one I was referencing earlier when I was like. I watched something and I was like, is there a spot for it? Probably yeah. not. I couldn't kick. I was like, I re- I was like debating, but I was like, I'm not kicking out. Talk to me or any of the other ones. Uh, but yeah, everything you've said is absolutely true. Um, it's just this, it's, you know, I love, I love, 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 as I mentioned, the Tony McNamara script. I think that it makes Yorgos Lanthimos so much more palatable. Unlike a lot of Yorgos Lanthimos things, which feel dark and depressing and, and sad, it, really is very uplifting at the end i mean there's sad moments but it's it ultimately is an incredibly hopeful movie about the human race and about people going forward and about you know the effect that one positive person can have on society and those around them uh emma stone just gives a, a career defining incredible performance in this movie she is so freaking good uh and i will say also um that you know she she is definitely uh uh, you know, the, the my my uh, my hall pass, uh, you know, <laughs> has has been for a long time, and this movie um, did not do anything to dissuade me from that. I will say, uh, so yeah, she she's great. All of the supporting actors in it you mentioned uh, are great, and this is a movie that I'm like, well, maybe it's not dudes dudes year because you had this, you had Barbie, <laughs> uh, you had woman talking, 
um, kind of. Uh, so I think, yeah, so, solid, solid movie that I, I, in another year, would have cracked my top 10. But not, my, not quite this year, just how strong it was for me. Yes, indeed. Um, so we have to go to you for your number four, correct? Mm-hmm. That is correct. Uh, I'm going to guess your number four is Talk to Me. Uh, okay, yeah. So, yeah, we know that that is not the <laughs> That's case. That's not yours. That's that, not the case, yeah. yes. Yeah, because we know that propped up at number 10. Um, yes. But, yeah, uh, so now it is time. I'll, I'll kick it to you because we're going to be talking about Oppenheimer now. So since you picked it, uh, it was going to be your uh, your pick at number five. I'll let you go talk about it first. We're in a race against the Nazis. And I know what it means if the Nazis have a bomb. They have a 12-month head start. 18. How could you possibly know that? We've got one hope. All America's industrial might and scientific innovation connected here. Secret laboratory. Keep everyone there until it's done. Let's go recruit some scientists. Build a town. Oh, yes, right. Of course. Um, Yeah, it's like dudes rock, I guess. Dudes rock, I guess. (laughs) Dudes create uh, weapons of mass destruction rock. Dudes become the destroyer of uh, worlds. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh yeah again with this and emma stone these probably probably my two uh favorite performances of the year again talking about the movies that we picked for the performances we picked that are going to be lavished uh claim uh, there people are going to lavish a claim onto this movie and barbie and because it's part of the barbie heimer experience i saw this and barbie in the same day um, I saw this first, um, like I said before, I couldn't, could not hold my piss through the, the three hours, <laughs> <laughs> very, very long movie, but I think it moves. I've watched some of this since then again, and it definitely doesn't feel like three hours. I think that's a testament to the great, uh, you know, editing and pacing and, uh, script work, um, from Christopher Nolan and his brother. Um, just a, an incredible cast of characters. We'll talk about uh, a movie with another large cast of, of uh, character actors and characters um, in this. But you have not just uh, is it Killian? I think it's Killian Murphy. Killian, right? yeah, uh, yeah. Killian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Florence Pugh, Josh Hartnett, Casey Affleck, Rami Malek, Kenneth Branagh, Benny Safdie, Josh Clark, Dylan Arnold. Uh, David Deshmeshkian, Dane DeHaan, Alden Ehrenreich, Tony Goldwyn, uh, David Krumholtz, which uh, Deanne, uh, yeah, Deanne mentioned in his review, Matthew Modine, Scott Grimes, just so many people just keep popping up in this movie. <laughs> it's like, oh, a lot of shit. guys, a lot of guys, a lot of, a lot of dudes, a lot of dudes. <laughs> um, and then, of course, the scene with the explosion, with the silence. I thought that was, I, I, I know it's that moment I'm in, the, I'm in the theater and it's about to happen. I'm like, what is what's what is this? What's going to happen? I'm like gripping my seat, like, going to be loud. It's going to be like uh, Tenet, not Tenet, like, or like Dunkirk or like um, any of his movies are just, <clears throat> just so loud and so much of uh, Christopher Nolan's work has been about the sound. And I'm just like, what is going to happen? And, and it's so, I think, talking about... Um, What's you know confident filmmaking? He was confident enough to say, "Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna sit in this movie and you're gonna watch an explosion, but you're not gonna hear anything, and you're and that's gonna be <laughs> you're gonna love it." <laughs> and I did, I did very much so. Um, yeah, just just 
all the performances were really incredible. Great script. Um, you know, Robert Downey Jr., career best, I think. Um, obviously, Kelly Murphy, Florence Pugh. Um, yeah, Damon, I just can't. Damon's da- so good in this. Matt Damon is very good in this movie. Um, and just the claustrophobic, you f- the claustrophobicness you feel when when it's cutting back and forth between you know his early days and being um, interrogated in that room um and it's uh you know we say this all the time but it's very prescient it was and it's very much about you know uh paranoia and uh, being ostracized for who, who you are you know they uh, they probably didn't like him for his jewishness but they couldn't say that because of course they're in the middle of world war ii but they had to say oh you're you're a communist because you had these ties to this person and it's just you know like, like i said in the review so, so we could have we could have be so much farther as a human race if we just you know put aside bullshit like that uh, but of course we can't and i think that's a lot of what this movie has to talk about and we'll be talking about that more later with some other big movies from the year but yeah uh my number four is uh sorry is my number four uh, was your number five my number four that was my number five your number yeah. four is Oppenheimer. Yeah. yeah incredible movie talk about it some more yes this <laughs> movie yeah so so good like everything you've said has been spot on incredible performances just a great movie about a guy who was both one of the people who ushered us into the modern age uh but also maybe set us on a path for destroying ourselves and just humanity like destroying itself and and you know that last line of the movie is, is so absolutely chilling and powerful uh score for this movie the guy ludwig uh, Geron, I, I can never pronounce his name. It's the guy who did uh, uh, the Gor- Mandalorian. Gorenson? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so good. Uh, yeah. Like just uh, you know, a lot of dudes in this movie, like you said, which helps you keep track <laughs> of all these different scientists because you're like, I remember Josh Hartnett. Um, so yeah, really, really phenomenal film. Um, despite being three hours and just mostly of people talking, you never feel its length because of the way. That I mean, I should have probably put it in best editing because of the editing uh, in it. You just it's propulsion. It's like this kind of never-ending monologue in the way that things cut back and forth, and how something in the past will be you know influenced by something else that happened, or something in the present is influenced by something that happens in the past. There's it's just multi-layer filmmaking, like Nolan loves to do so so much. And yeah, uh, this is I talked about how my viewing of John Wick uh, that really affected my placement of this movie on here and Oppenheimer is another one like that. This is a movie that I saw in a theater on a IMAX screen, but not a true IMAX screen. Uh, and I liked it a lot. I originally gave it a four and a half star rating, but then I went back and, uh, decided to, I was like, you know what? There's like 30 screens in the world that are true IMAX that is showing this in 70 millimeter. Uh, that's yeah. like a thing that people are talking about. So I'm going to spend the 25 bucks and see it like that. Uh, and I did, and I was, you know, to you know I, people keep saying this uh blown away by this movie uh but <laughs> yeah. yes and there was and i thought I was like you know what whatever like it's a gimmick but there was something magical about watching it on that big because i also saw indiana jones uh dialed destiny on that same screen which was great but there was something about seeing it in that 70 millimeter it was a lot it was it was a lot grainier than i ever saw it you could hear the whir of the projector and i don't know man that was just some movie magic shit and it yeah. maybe I was like, you know what, bumping it up to an even five, and from now from here on out, the top my top four they're all five star just bangers for me. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, a couple other things I just pulled up my notes for Oppenheimer. Um, you know, it's it's very Sorkin esque in its in its proclamations about the virtues of truth. You know, they does that a lot. Um, similar to stuff in Bridge of Spies about character assassination. Um, you know, those are moments where they have like gallows humor. You know, where they're talking about taking a bet on whether or not the thing's going to explode and kill everyone, kill all of humanity. Um, and of course, the part where they're talking about where to drop the initial bomb and he's like well you can't drop it in kyoto because we we vacation there yeah. um just just so many moments where you really see you know this full full spectrum of of humanity and what we're capable of you know the, the destruction and also the humor and also the persecution and also the uh the fucking a lot of fucking in that yeah. movie there Kid, was dude, there dude's was. fuck dude's rocking dude's fucking yep <laughs> also, hey, ladies can fuck now yeah. too. All right, La- ladies can now fuck. <laughs> oh shit! Uh, so that was that was your number three. That right? was my four. It was your four. Shit. Okay. There's your four. Uh, my. I get to okay, guess so your number three now. But well, you actually, get to guess. I don't. Well, it's my guess is going to be wrong because my guess was Oppenheimer. So that's clearly oh. incorrect. <laughs> so my number three, again, it's trying to shuffle things around. This is sort of a last minute, but uh, I'm pretty sure I will uh, look back on this and uh, deem it correct. Um, the Holdovers. My number three is Alexander's Payne's The Holdovers. Sir, I don't understand. That's glaringly apparent. I can't fail this class. Oh, don't sell yourself short, Mr. Coates. I truly believe that you can. Every year at Barton Academy, students, faculty, and staff depart the campus for a two-week winter break. But there are always an unfortunate few who have nowhere to go for the holidays. They're known as the holdovers. Mr. Hunnam. Hello, Mary. I had you guys stuck with babysitting duty this year. How'd you manage that? You know, he used to be a student, right? Yeah, that's why he knows how to inflict maximum pain on us. I thought all the Nazis were hiding in Argentina. Stifle it, Tully. You just earned yourself a detention, sir. Being here with you is already one big detention. Son of a bitch, that's another detention. Do you think I want to be babysitting you? No, I was praying your mother would pick up the phone or your father would arrive in a helicopter or a flying saucer. My father's to take dead. Up. You don't tell a boy that's been left behind at Christmas that nobody wants him? What's wrong with you? There's nobody here, okay? You stay out of my way, and I'll stay out of yours. Um, you know, this is a movie people, a lot of people are talking about being an instant Christmas classic, and I do very much agree. Um, they said also said it's very cozy and very comfortable, and... Uh, Alexander Payne has asked a few people um, about that because they've interviewed him and said, you know, that's the that's the um, discussion around it. And he asked them, like, can you define that? Can you tell me why? He's like, I don't disagree with it, but I'm just curious why. And he's just, you know, takes place in a New England prep school during the winter. And it's a very cozy right there, uh, just right there. And it's... Um, you know, it takes place between just a, it's just a two-hander, three-hander between just a few people. You know, at first it's the entire school is there, and then cuts down to the people that have to stay there because they don't have anywhere else to go for the winter. And then it cuts down even further when uh, a bunch of the class leaves to go to a ski vacation. So you just have the uh, three main uh, characters and actors, uh, Paul Giamatti playing Paul Hunnam, Don, Don, Dominic Sessa in one of his first uh, main acting roles, uh, playing uh, Angus Tully, and uh, Divine Joy Randolph playing Mary, the um, 
one of the uh, head chef, head chefs head head um head bakers there um one of one of the best performances I've seen this year um, will be very very upset if she doesn't get uh, nominated at the Golden Globes, especially at the Oscars for supporting actress. One of the best performances I've seen this year from her, and uh, yeah, just just a great movie about found family. I think that's something that gets overlooked a lot, and I I omit to uh, talk about it here. Um, they talk about it a lot uh, on the House of R podcast about found family, about uh, found friendships, and it's the. You know, it's the friends you make along the way. It's the family you meet along the way. It's, uh, you know, finding finding mentorship, finding somebody that uh, understands you. Can can You could find that in the least likely of places. Um, Paul Giamatti playing some some sort of character that he's played before, the, the sort of grouchy curmudgeon that eventually comes around and melts his, his cold, cold heart. A uh, very specific type of character in this, though. You know, very, you know... Uh, snooty and somebody that uh, you know pr- pronounces his words very carefully. Um, I, I assume I, I've always wanted to ask actors that if you know that if they have a performance like that that is very specific in in that way of the way he carries himself, the way he pronounces words, the way he uh, the, that sort of um, upper crust accent that he puts on. I've always been curious if that's something in the script or that, or is that something that you bring to it or if that's something you work with the director on to, to find together. But, uh, either way, very, very, uh, very cool performance there. So yeah, my number three is the holdovers. Very nice. Yeah. I, I liked this movie quite a bit. Didn't quite make my list. Um, but I agree with you completely. This is a new Christmas classic. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of Sideways, so this obviously reuniting Alexander Payne with Paul Giamatti. I was like, let's go! I am so on board. I saw this like a day or two before Thanksgiving, so it really kicked off my Christmas season. Uh, I'm really glad. Like all great Christmas movies, it, it's yeah, it does have that thing of like found family that so many of them have. It does have that melancholy, and it does have that you know, if not if not happy, at least a bittersweet ending. Uh, that I really love, that I think you need in a Christmas movie. And it does have that... You mentioned this is in, like, a New England... And you need to have... A Christmas movie needs to be a bit snowy. I need to watch a Christmas movie. And, yeah. you know, me living in California, growing up here, I don't get Christmas, but I get it in the movies. You know, when I watch a movie, I am transported to Christmas time in a way that I don't get to watch, do in my <laughs> real life. And this one absolutely did that. Yes, yes. Uh, so that was my number three. Uh, so, Derek, uh, I have to guess what your number three yes. is. Let me... Pull up my prediction list. I think your. I could just leave it open. I have a bunch of tabs though. (laughs) (laughs) I'm tabbing through. Uh, Let's see. So, did you talk about Oppenheimer already? You did, right? I did. Was that your guess for my number three? Yes. Okay. I love how we yeah each guessed each other. (laughs) Oppenheimer number three were both wrong. Uh, So yeah, yeah, no, obviously that was my number four. Uh, My number three is. Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Here's the thing. We're a team of thieves. And when you do this, you're bound to make enemies. Sometimes those enemies come looking for revenge. Truth be told. Now, this is a just great adventure fantasy movie that you don't, and it's a cliche, but you don't see movies like this anymore. Where it's just a group of like plucky characters, misfits, 
going on a quest to stop the bag evil guy. It feels like something that would be made in like the late 90s or early 2000s. I always make the comparison to like the mummy. It has that the, the Brendan Fraser mummy or like Pirates of the Caribbean 1. Or even, you know, even Guardians of the Galaxy uh, exists because it's in the MCU. It's it's what Guardians of the Galaxy is for sci-fi. This is for fantasy. It has that same feelings of the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Um, so it's just a great adventure, fun movie with these characters that grow and you like and they develop and stuff like that. On that level, it's a phenomenal film. On the level of adaptation, this film is a masterpiece. And it takes a movie that was fucking incredible and just elevates it even further. Because it's like, how do you adapt a D&D movie? Well, you could just like do a movie set in the D&D world or something like that. And that would be fine. That would be a good movie. But this movie feels like, wow, they just shot a campaign where there's things that go wrong and there's there's crazy plans that don't make any sense and there's character and all of the characters behave like people would in a D&D campaign without actually ever doing that meta thing without it having to be like a, have like a GM like insert or something like that like watching this as a GM and player you're like wow my players have done done shit like that or I have made weird character decisions where like a character would do this that guy is an NPC he would just walk straight across that rock like it's so brilliant it's so good and it's the movie that I have gone back to the most. I watched this movie four fucking times this year. This movie is <laughs> so good. I I and I will watch it in, in the 2024 and 2025 yeah. as well. I am sure. This is a movie that me and my, sure. my brother also like like we watched it independently. And it's one we've watched together twice of those times we watched it together. Like it's an absolute blast. It's I love adventure movies and you just don't get to see them that often anymore, especially not on this level of competence. Yes, um, I had that as my, that's my prediction for your number one. So, oh wow, <laughs> that, I mean, I already blew that. It, yeah. it, it easily could have been it, it, yeah. another year would have been, but like one and two, just okay. But yeah, yeah, yes, 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 great, great movie as well. Yeah. Um, let's see. So that was your number three. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're up to two. Um, right. And Derek, my, what do you think my number two is? My guess for your number two is Killers of the Flower Moon. Ding dong, ding dong. Yes. You got it. Yes, Killers of the Flower Moon is my number two. Whose land is this? My land. Well, 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 our war hero has arrived. You made a good choice coming back here. Those days are the finest, wealthiest, and most beautiful people on God's earth. They outsmarted everybody. They have the say. Who gets the oil? Son, I got a question. You like women? <laughs> That's my weakness. <laughs> well, we mix these families together, and that estate money flows the right direction. It'll come to us. Shomikasi. That's how you are. I don't know what you said, but it must have been Indian for handsome devil. <laughs> <laughs> pull up all the stuff here yes um so yeah we're a long long piece about this on on uh on letterboxd i talked about it a lot but yeah it's just uh it's a movie that people need to see uh and the wrong people are not going to see this or if they do see it they're not going to take away take away the right message we're we're reeling back to that time of tyrants and and big-headed blustery men uh calling the shots so that's not great (laughs) um 
you know, I just, uh, when we talked about it before, it's just, um, it has everything rolled up into one. You know, it's the capitalism, is it's the fascism, it's the imperialism, it's the racism, it's all of that stuff. Because I said, like I said before, it's the Venn diagram. All of, if you take all of that stuff into a Venn diagram, it's just one perfect circle. It's all, it's all feeds off each other, it all complements each other. Um, and that's, we're just going to repeat that over and over again because we just, <laughs> we want to take everything and scoop it up and suck it up. And, you know, it's the evil version of, uh, well, not the evil version because it's, um, Daniel uh, Plainview was pretty evil, but it's the evil version of uh, There Will Be Blood. Um, and, you know, great, great editing. Thelma Shoemaker, great editor. Um, should have talked about this when we talked about editing. Um, yeah, very, very good. Um, you know, they commit atrocities. They pack it in. It's about, it's about committing atrocities, packaging it up, cleaning it up, shaving off all the hard edges and selling that back to the victims and the perpetrators. Like I said in the review, we're, we're the perpetrators. We are the, um, actually, let me pull it up so I can get the actual thing I said about it. Um, one second. Uh, do, 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 do. Where would I show my reviews? I have to go to... Okay. Um, so I said, when it's all over, the story of America will, will be that we are both the cops and the robbers, the terrorists and the resistance, the perpetrators of mass atrocities, and the cleanup crew, that we are the drug dealers and the detoxifiers. So that's, you know, that's what we are. Um, I think uh, Scorsese was very aware of this. You know, he, en he ends the movie um, at that radio play and just says, yeah, he says to the audience and says to the critics, I know what I'm doing. I'm doing what we've done before and tell, tell the story. But I think he's told it in the best way that he can at this point. Um, you know, incredible, incredible, incredible performances. You know, they, they said this before, but, uh, you know, Leo DiCaprio playing Ernest, Lily Gladstone, uh, gave one of the best performances this year. I think it's, <clears throat> I don't know what um, category she's going to go for. If she goes for um, lead, I, I don't know if she can get it from Emma Stone. Um, I don't, and I don't think she, I don't think she deserves to be supporting. I think it's a lead performance. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think she's, she's a, a, definitely a lead in this movie. Yeah. Um, uh, but very, very, very good. Um, talking about this and the Greta Lee performance in past lives, one of my two favorite performances this year doing very similar things. Uh, great uh, performance by, De by De Niro as, as well as, as always, <laughs> Jesse Plemons as always again. Um, and an amazing cast of characters, uh, Jason Isbell playing Bill Smith. Um, John, John Lithgow, um, was great in this. Brendan Fraser, Scott Shepard, uh, Sturgill Simpson, a lot of uh, a lot of lot of um, country guys, got a country performers in this. We're great in this, and again, another another three hour epic that definitely moves. Definitely, you have so many different parts to it. Um, that there are different sections to it that uh, you can definitely see. You know, okay, let's sit down and watch this. Okay, this 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 part moves when you're just finding out about what the case is, finding about what the world is, finding about what the situation is. That's the first part of the movie, and then the relationship being built and. Uh, and being and being destroyed, being slowly destroyed from the inside between, um, between Molly and Ernest, you have that corruption, that uh, 
that uh, corroding of their relationship being brought on by Daenerys' character, William, um, him being slowly corrupted. Um, and, then, and then the last act of the FBI coming in and trying to bring some sort of justice to this town that's been ravaged by by white fucks and capitalism <laughs> and racists and all of that stuff. So, yeah, I cannot, cannot say enough about this movie. Really, we'll be very, very interested to see. I think this will be... Uh, the top running the 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 um, first runner first runner what's what's the word what's the word I'm looking for front runner thank you my mouth is slowly <laughs> <laughs> melting uh, front runner for uh, best picture of the year will go to Killers of Flower Moon I predict it here and now yeah so yep yeah no this is uh, obviously a spectacular film you know agree with most of what you said that yeah this is powerful movie uh, I love the ending how it hands with that radio play and it has scorsese and it's very much a nod of who gets to tell these stories it's the white director in his 80s who is telling the story of these native americans um i don't completely agree with you you said about like first of all you said this is a three-hour movie that moves it's a three and a half hour movie that kind of moves at a snail's pace in my opinion (laughs) sure uh uh, and I think, you know, but that's, you know, that's a double-edged sword because I like that Scorsese is taking his time in his later career. He is a little more methodical. Things aren't just moving at a quick place. It is very, like, here, look at this thing, you know. And um, this is one that I think maybe would have worked better as a miniseries, but I still do really appreciate it. There, It's a powerful movie uh, about a subject that really needs to be touched on. Uh, you know, obviously this was reworked from... Uh, the original pitch, uh, which is a lot closer to the original nonfiction book by David Gann, uh, which is you know told from the point of view of the uh, Leah was originally going to play the FBI agent who doesn't come until the very end of the movie, who ends up being played by Jesse Plemons. Uh, this is just yeah, it's kind of a instead of being that uh, you know uh, who done it, it's much more of a this dive into evil and this intense relationship that these characters have and. Uh, this dichotomy that lives in Leo's head where he is doing all these horrible things uh, to these people uh, that, you know, his uncle claims to love, who he clearly doesn't. But I think, you know, you you can make the argument either way, does he love his wife, but he's still doing absolutely abominable things to her and, you know, unforgivable things. And thank God she does not forgive him at the end. Uh, So, yeah, Killers of the Flower Moon deserves to be mentioned among the great films of 2023. Yes, absolutely. Um, so we're on to your number two. Um, I'm going to go ahead. Guess your number two is Past Lives. Uh, not quite. Uh, my number two okay. is <laughs> Blackberry. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, what can I do for you? Okay, picture a cell phone and an email machine all in one thing. There is a free wireless internet signal all across North America, and nobody has figured out how to use it. It's like the Force. Sorry, have you seen Star Wars? No. That guy is sketchy. I don't think he's sketchy. The guy's a shark. I know how to market it, and I know who we can sell it to. But I want 50% of the company, and I've got to be CEO. I don't know who you think you are, but deal. Are you joking? We are in a race to get this thing to market, and we are a year behind. I need a prototype. I'll do it perfectly, or I, I don't do it. Mike, are you familiar with the saying, perfect is the enemy of good? 
Well, good enough is the enemy of humanity. What do you call it? It's called a Blackberry. Huh. Try typing with your thumbs. You had guessed air earlier on, and while that was a movie I enjoyed, it's one of these product I think biopic. I air. Yeah, that's what I said. You guessed air earlier on. Uh, oh, so, I thought you said you guessed this later on. Uh, earlier yeah, on. but that, that's no worries. <laughs> I might have said that. I don't know. Uh, the tape will tell. Yeah. But um, <laughs> this is but air, uh, Blackberry, uh, Flaming Hot. There was a lot of these movies that were quote unquote product biopics that came out this year, uh, but this one really stood above any of those because this really felt like those movies were kind of like yay capitalism and there might be a little like oh we should share with the creators in in air this was like the way that you know these systems kind of destroy everything and everyone and it's this really interesting delve into these this guy who is an innovator and a creator but he is he going to sell his soul uh because you know to get the product bigger and better and the clash that he has with this guy who's more of the just kind of pitch shyster guy, uh, you know. So J- the you know the the kind of back and forth that Jay Baruchel's character and um, Glenn Howerton's character have in this uh, is is really incredible. Um, Glenn Howerton in this, by the way, unhinged, incredible. He is from Waterloo, where the fucking vampires hang out. Like, oh my god, he is so good, and <laughs> I I really love this. It, it feels like, honestly, a modernization of the social network. Unlike Air, unlike all these other movies, this is ultimately about a product that had a meteoric rise and a colossal fail. And seeing the arc of that in that movie, it's cool to be like, whoa, this is a really interesting story of how did this Blackberry go through this crazy process but the character dramas in it, these people in it, their lives, and the way that they essentially changed the world and but then failed to adapt, and the way they sold parts of their souls off just piece by piece is... Yeah, that's very cool. Um, I, I would never have uh, anticipated you put it that high. I, I think I remember... Yeah, I remember you being very high on it when we talked about it when it first came out. But yeah, oh, okay. Number two movie for you is Blackberry. Um, So we're at uh, number one, or before we get to number ones, let's go over some of our honorable mentions. Um, Let's see here. Um, So yeah, like I said, uh, right outside my top 10, uh, number 12 was uh, The Boy and the Heron. I already said my piece. What was 11? Uh, How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Number 11 was How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Um, I I mentioned it as my number one movie you should see before uh, the end of the year. And you did. I believe you you liked it uh, quite a bit, right? I did. I did. Yes. Yes. You gave me a Uh, bunch of movies to watch for the end of the year. And this is the only one I watched that made uh, my, I will spoil it, say this cracked my honorable mentions at least. Gotcha. Yeah, I'll just uh, yeah, like you said, or yeah, like not not like you said, but uh, I will mention about ten of them. I have a full list uh, on Letterboxd of my all sixty four movies I saw this year from this year. Uh, go there after this and check that out. Uh, so I'll just do up to twenty. My number thirteen movie of the year is Barbie. Had to get there. The Barbie half, the other half of the Barbieheimer experience. Wait, Great so what was by. what was twelve? Uh. 
the uh, boy and the heron. It says, okay. how do you live on here? That's why I keep getting confused. Boy, yeah, so how Bubble Pipeline was 11. Boy and the Heron was number 12. And 13 is Barbie. Great performance by Miss Margot Robbie and, uh, and uh, Ryan Gosling. And a great, uh, great cast of characters. One of the best movies with, you know, like I said before, large uh, musical performances in there. Very funny. Very uh, insightful about social issues. Uh, that's my number 13. Number 14 is the one you guessed for my number 10, I believe, Rotting in the Sun. Um, the Sebastian uh, Silva. Yeah, I had it at six, but yeah. Six, yeah. Sebastian Silva's uh, Cinema Verite. Look at, uh, you know, him as a filmmaker. And you have this, uh, a lot of dicks. He goes to a, to a nude beach and a lot, there's a lot of dicks and a lot of uh, gay sex happening around him. And it very much becomes a different movie about halfway through. So Yeah, this like mo- uh, Sebastian Silva decided to make this movie <laughs> instead of just going to therapy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, number fifteen is a movie that I'm, I'm um, guessing will be on a lot of lists and a lot of honorable mentions this year. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, like like we've said before, great first half of a movie. <laughs> Can't <laughs> wait to see yeah. the second half of that movie next next year. Hopefully, not twenty twenty four, but probably twenty twenty five. Yeah, who knows exactly? Uh, number sixteen, number fun, another fun movie from this year. Number another fun Marvel movie, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Um, I think it's safe to say that won't be on your list this year. Maybe, maybe could be. No, it's a good movie, but it didn't. I actually didn't have any Marvel movies on my list this year. Yes, me neither. Uh, one of the best movies, Marvel movies this year. That or one of the best Marvel projects, I'll say. Uh, I think Loki uh, passed that a little bit. Uh, yeah, great, great movie. Uh, seven, number seventeen is May December. Uh, one of those we talked about before, where it's just yeah, it's very uh, Oscar Beatty. It's it's a great performance, great movie. Takes itself very seriously. Um, so that's why it's my number. Uh, it's at my honorable mention at seventeen. Uh, 18 is a movie I haven't talked about because I just saw it this week called A Fire. Uh, from one of my favorite working directors, uh, Christian Petzold. Um, it's the synopsis is a seaside vacation takes an unexpected turn when Leon and Felix show up at Felix's family's holiday home to discover Nadia, a mysterious woman already there. As an ever encroaching forest fire threatens their well-being, relationships are tested as romances are kindled. So it's uh it's one of those movies that's uh, I've seen a few of them this year that's very much about you know art and commerce and uh, you know what are we doing uh, what are we, what are we doing in the face of what what are we doing in the face of ever encroaching climate change ever increasing climate change ever accelerating climate change uh, we're sitting around talking about writing and art and making things making uh, forging relationships in a world that is very quickly falling apart so very much did enjoy that um, 19 was Nimona you can go back and listen to all my, all my thoughts on that I had a lot of things to say about that very very fun uh, you know, queer coded movie, a lot of, you know, front facing and center centered queer characters in that. So I very much enjoyed that for that. And for the, uh, for the comedic bits, comedic, comedic bits, one of my favorite animated movies from this year. And I'll finish out at number 20 with theater camp. Imagine this as one of my favorite movies of the year that you should see before the end of the year. And, and it made my list, uh, the top 20. So yeah, check that out. Um, Derek, yeah, Derek. Before you get to your honorable mentions, I'll just mention um, some that I haven't that I watched um, between last time and now. Uh, a thousand and one. I saw that just recently. It's 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 a story about a uh, um, 
a woman and her son in the, I want to say mid to late nineties in New York city. Um, she, she loses him to foster to the foster system and sort of, uh, um, I guess you could say kidnapped, <laughs> takes him from the, from the foster care system and tries to raise him herself. That was a very good one. Um, beyond utopia is one of the few, um, documentaries I saw this year. Um, it is about a, a pastor from South Korea who uses his, uses his, um, uh, what do you call that? Uses his resources to try to get North Koreans out of there. So it's a very harrowing documentary from this year. Will most likely be up for best documentary and probably win it as well. And the last one I'll mention is Passages, which I mentioned before, which is the Ira Sachs film um, starring Franz Rogowski, one of my favorite um, international actors, um, Ben Wishaw, and Agdell Axaropoulos. Who was no, most known for uh, Blue is the Warmest Color? So, fantastic queer or bisexual queer movie that I loved very much. So, that is it for my honorable mentions of 2024. Like I said, I'll have a full list at, uh, at Santa Klaus Kinski on Letterboxd. Okay, yes. yeah. <laughs> Derek, uh, Derek, what is your honorable mentions for I'm, 2023? I'm going to speed run through mine. I'm not going to take that long. Uh, so, <laughs> all right, uh, all right, all I, right, all yeah. right. I like how you're like, I'm not going to say that much about it. And you just like gave a whole diatribe on every single one. But, Soliloquy, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I, uh, so yeah, uh, Iron Claw, uh, like you mentioned, um, Killers of the Flat. And these are not in a particular, it's just a grouping of honorable ah. men. I was like, I'm not, gotcha. I spent enough time honoring my one through 10. I'm not going <laughs> to, yeah, like number my 11 sure. or 20. So yeah, Iron Claw, sure. Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, Passages, the one you just mentioned, um, Extraction Two, which almost was like it was in there for a while, but I was like, no, John Wick's a better movie. Uh, uh, then, like you mentioned, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, uh, another product biopic movie that was sitting in my top ten for the first half of the year at least. Uh, Tetris. Uh, then you know the one I mentioned most underrated, uh, Fingernails, uh, Poor Things, which came close to cracking it, uh, and then Wes Anderson's Asteroid City, and another. Really underrated sci-fi movie that I liked a lot more than pretty much anyone, and that is the Creator. Creator, nice. Yeah, that's one I gotta catch up catch up with, as well. It's good. It made me oh. cry at the end against all. Like I'm like it's uh, it's kind of it was kind of like you know what this is really manipulative, but it worked on me. Yes. Um, should I play Andy's number one before we get to ours, or should we do ours then Andy's? Yeah, go ahead and play Andy's now. And we'll get Andy's number one movie of 2023. Hey guys, this is Andy from the podcast formerly known as Can I Say Something and future infrequent guest on the next big thing from Mr. Damian Sherman, the Midnight Film Society. My top film from 2023 comes in hot with a Rotten Tomatoes score of 96% and a perfect 10 from yours truly. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem isn't the bougie film you are probably used to hearing about on best of the year pods such as this, but I am not a bougie motherfucker. This film sees the turtles struggle with their lifelong isolation from society by the xenophobic master splinter and start to venture out of the sewer with the goal of making friends and being accepted for who they are by fighting off Baxter Stockman and his army of mutants. Typically, reboots of shows from the 80s and 90s feels like a cash grab to me, a cruel bastardization of a beloved IP for the sake of the almighty dollar. Mutant mayhem bucked that trend. Seth Rogen and company took plenty of liberties in modernizing the story, but that made it feel fresh in almost every aspect, instead of a verbatim retelling of something we've seen done poorly a half dozen times over the past few decades. That isn't to stay nostalgia wasn't a huge part of the appeal for a grown-ass man like me, but it was more so in the form of Easter eggs as opposed to the entire premise. The film's animation style was also incredibly unique. 
You may have heard me ramble on about that in on a past episode. Jumpy, scribbly, comic book style, style animation is the best that I can do. It is a shockingly dark visual style, almost nightmarish at times, in stark contrast to the lighthearted dialogue of the turtles and the goofy dialogue of the mutants. The music was great, the jokes were funny, the cast was stellar, and I am looking forward to the sequel. That was Andy's number one movie of 2023, uh, TMT Mutant Mayhem. Thank you for that, Andy. And with yeah, that, and I will get... say this is this yes. is a <laughs> I will say real yeah. fast that's a that's a great pick. Uh, this is a really fun movie. I love the turtles, and uh, this is one that it felt like they were actual like teenage brothers. This felt like just some guys going on an adventure. They were very relatable. I think this is easily the best tur- uh, turtles movie since the original 1990 uh, one that was a indie film phenomenon. Uh, I really like this and agree with everything Andy said there. Yes. Uh, let me see. Who was actually in that? Who did the voices? I know there was a few. Uh, okay. <laughs> There's some people I recognize. I guess not. Mika Abbey, Shimon Brown, Nicholas Kentau, Kentu, uh, Brady Noon. Then the supporting cast obviously was Io Edabiri, Maya Rudolph, John Cena, Seth Rogen, Rose Byrne, Giancarlo Esposito played Baxter, Jackie Chan played Splinter. Ice Cube was Superfly. Paul Rudd was Mondo. Huh, didn't know that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good cast. Yeah, that's very cool. Yes, and introducing Paul Rudd is how they put him in the credits, which I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> that's funny. All right. So with that, we will get to uh, our top movie, top film of 2023. Derek, I guess you could say, I, <laughs> I guess you kind of can sort of guess what it might be. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty confident. Like, I was confident going into this uh, with my number one pick for you. And the fact that you did not mention it in any of your picks or honorable mentions, I'm very confident in saying that your number one (laughs) pick is probably Past Lives. There's a word in Korean. Inyon. It means providence. Or fate. Do you believe in that? That's just something Koreans say to seduce someone. What a good story this is. Childhood sweethearts who reconnect 20 years later and realize they were meant for each other. In the story, I would be the evil white American husband standing in the way of destiny. Shut up. He was just this kid in my head for such a long time. I think I just missed him. Did he miss you? His home! Wow, the guy flew 13 hours to be here. I'm not going to tell you that you can't see him or something. I'm 
If two strangers walk by each other in the street and their clothes accidentally brush, that means there have been 8,000 layers of inyan between them. Yes, indeed. My my number one pick of 2023 is Past Lives. Celine Song's directorial debut. Um, this is, you know, this year's um, Everything Everywhere at Once. And the fact that I saw it pretty early on, I think this flick came out in June, I want to say, June or July. So not as early as uh, Everything Everywhere at Once. But uh, yeah, once I, once I saw it, it... it you know, went straight to number one and and pretty much stayed there all year. A um, few notes I took. I watched it again last night, like I said, and cried again just as much as I did the first time. Um, you know, I think the one of the first lines of dialogue in the movie, I think, really lays out the film's thesis and its um, its sort of um, themes. It's its main theme that it is exploring and wrestling with, which is Nora's mother at the very beginning says, <clears throat> "Quote: If you leave something behind, you gain something too." And I think that uh, sums up uh, a lot of the movie's uh, messaging. You know, I think that the the longing and the sort of long lost love um, is something that uh, Wong Kar Wai does very good, and I think this movie does it as well as he's ever done it. Uh, I mentioned before the music and the score by Christopher Bear and Daniel Ronson. Uh, I said it reminds me of the Lost in Translation score, that sort of ethereal, um, what's that word for like the um, sort of a lo-fi beats they have now on, on YouTube, that, that sort of stuff, um, was very good. Um, it has like a... a this, the, the sort of like texture it has, you know, this very dreamlike, this uh, slow pace to it that I see in a lot of Raisuzuki Hamaguchi movies. It works here very well as well. Um, you know, and the first time in filmmaking that I really, really um, admired was the, the confidence of the camera work. I've talked here through the past <laughs> three hours, the, uh, the the confident, confident filmmaking, confidence in the, allow the confidence and trust in your uh, in your actors to to be able to act out a scene without any cuts, and that's what she does here a lot. There's one scene where, when Nora and Heisung first first meet up again for the first time in 20 years, they're walking along the uh, New York sort of. There's a pier, and the camera is just sitting back, maybe at least 150 150 to 200 feet away. And as they're walking and talking, the camera is following them and sort of loses them at one point. Really, really incredible. So many scenes and shots that could be could be a painting. Um, the the the, uh, the DP was Shabir Kircher, who also wrote who also shot a lot of Steve McQueen's Small X series in 2021. So if you like the the cinematography here. I highly recommend watching watching that stuff. Um, the shot of Nora in the car when she's moving to New York was incredible. The shot of Nora and Hey Song when they were kids and they were saying goodbye for the for the last time in in Korea. And one is walking up the stairs and Hey Song takes the lo- the lower street was an incredible shot. Um, Nora sitting with Arthur the first time during the writers retreat where they, where they have them sort of silhouetted against the house and against the um, the hanging lights there was a really incredible shot. A lot of amazing shots in this film. Um, the micro the the thing I was talking about before with the acting um, throughout this year, a lot of close-ups on Killian Murphy's face, a lot of close-ups of um, 
of Leo DiCaprio and of uh, Lily Gladstone in that movie and Killers of Flower Moon. A lot of micro impressions here. A lot of uh, Greta Lee's, the things I love about her performance in this movie are the micro, micro uh, expressions on her face, but also John Mujaro and T.O.U.'s face um, say, say a lot more than any piece of dialogue could. Um, the, the, the shots um, that I think um, refer back to a lot of uh, small romantic movies like the before series when they first meet again um, at the pier when they're sitting next to the uh, the merry, merry-go-round which is used as the uh, the poster for the movie um, the, the looks and look aways say a lot as well um, and I think the entire movie is very 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 much about things like understanding and empathy and deeply uh, empathetic human connections um, you know it's a, it's a very adult movie you know it's a very it's a movie it's about mature love and a mature understanding having you, you can uh, uh accepting and communicating without words you know they're very secure in their love for each other and that's very, what a lot of a lot of what i liked about this movie um and you know movies that make me cry aren't necessarily the ones that people are aren't necessarily the sad ones it's not just the marley enemies of the world it's also the ones where people are just being decent and good to each other and the last conversation um, is not this overwrought declaration of love. You know, it's this um, it's a recognition that their that the, that this life isn't their isn't their life. This time isn't their time, um, but maybe the next time will be. And that's that's sums up when Hey Song says, "See you then." At the very end, so just crush me, just just absolutely crush me. <laughs> I love everything about this movie. So that's my that's why it's my number one of twenty twenty three. Yeah, and. Um... So to get to my number one of 2023, and you had said you guessed it was D&D, right? So obviously, you know, that's yeah. Uh, yeah, not yeah, yeah. correct. Uh, yeah, it's past lives. Come on. Like, my, yeah. we have the same number one. <laughs> uh, this, was, this was always going to be my number one. Um, there was a moment, like I said, when I was thinking about putting Blackberry here, and I switched it on my list, and I'm like, this just feels wrong, because... Past Lives is is such a movie up my alley. It is I I love these movies that are like brief encounters or missed encounters, um, where it is about these two people who deeply love each other and probably should be together, but because of circumstances, because of time, because of whatever it might be, don't end up together. And that's the theme of this movie is just like the way that our lives can go in one direction, but they go for whatever reason in a completely different direction, something completely outside of our hands. And yeah, because they were probably, you know, they, you know, they were grew up together. They were, had this like old love and, and then they, because of their parents end up going in completely different directions, living in a different world. She becomes a different person. Uh, You know, she literally changes her name is like Nora. And then, but then, you know, with him, she kind of, feels that pull of the person she used to be. But it's not just the two of them, right? You have her husband, and it becomes this really interesting, beautiful trifecta where he has this moment where he's like, I understand how this is. Like, I'm, you know, the evil white American that you're married to. He's the Korean love of your life. You're going to run. And she's like, that's not how it works. So it subverts those tropes of those movies that I love so much in such a really powerful and interesting way. And they talk about how they have had past lives together because you know they are they are deeply connected through her and the and that last shot is one of the greatest last shots in a movie and it mirror you know have that great first shot where it's like looking at the three of them and it's like what is their connection and by the end of it you deeply understand what their connection is and he's so empathetic they're all so empathetic for each other no one ever crosses a line but they're all 
they all understand what's going on. And they all understand what can be and what they would all like it to be and what it can't be. And she she's caught in the middle of this where, you know, she's not going to leave her husband. She loves her husband deeply. And yeah. he th- and but and he loves her, but he knows she's not going to leave her husband. And her husband does that, too. And he's he's like very, you know, I wouldn't say jealous, but he is, you know, nervous about it. He is, um, you know, apprehensive. Uh, and when when she ha- has her scene, she says goodbye to Hassan, and then she just cries into Arthur. Uh, it's it makes it makes you cry too. Like it's it's so good. It's 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 a brilliant movie. It had to be. No, as soon as I saw it, this had to be number one 2023 movie. Nothing could nothing was ever gonna push this off the pedestal. This is one of my favorite movies in years. Yeah, yeah, well said. Yeah, it's uh, just incredible. <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> we'll be revisiting it a lot. It's one of those like uh, like everything everywhere, where you do want to revisit it, but it is so goddamn <laughs> soul crushing to yeah. to watch it. But yeah, um, so that is it. That is our top ten of Woo! the year. Top ten films of the year. Congratulations! Woo! We did exactly. it. Exactly, we did it. <laughs> we did it, guys. Um, so just a few things left to do. Um, I do want to just hit up some to do, do some sort of comparison point here because I have my most anticipated pulled up from the beginning of the year. Um, my number one most anticipated movie does has not come out yet. <laughs> it was Doom <laughs> Part Two. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it comes out in March. Can't wait for that. Uh, my number two most anticipated was Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning. Uh, my number three, and keep in mind these were made in January, so a lot of the stuff, the dates moved, the uh, tough what stuff debuted, stuff uh, trailers came out for stuff. Um, Pest Life wasn't even on my radar. My number three was Oppenheimer, uh, followed by Barbie. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon had it st- uh, had a TPD at that point. Uh, that was number five. Number six was The Killer. Um, number seven was Disappointment Boulevard, which was the Bo's Afraid um, name uh, at that point. Uh, the the Ari Aster movie from earlier this year. Number eight was Creed 3. I was like, eh, not great. <laughs> number nine was Scream 6. Uh, number 10 was Asteroid City. Um, and then a lot of ones that actually ended up uh, being pretty high on my list uh, are in the top uh, the t- 10 to 20. Uh, Asteroid City, Wonka, which I still need to see. Um, it was called Air Jordan at that point in January, which became Air uh, Cocaine Bear was 13. Showing Up, which I very much enjoyed, was 14. Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, was 15. Um, How Do You Live, which was The Boy and the Heron, was 16. Maestro, which was obviously uh, ended up on... Uh, what did I end up putting in? Number, yeah, number six um, was my... Uh, number 17. Uh, Renfield was 18. Ferrari, which I haven't seen yet, was 19. Don't need to. Okay, great. Skip it. Skip it. <laughs> that was my number. That was my number nineteen and twenty was Magic Mike's Last Dance. And actually, what's funny is Leave the World Behind, which I heard is not great, which I won't be seeing, uh, was uh, number twenty one. Napoleon twenty two and Zone of Interest, which I don't need to see, is twenty three. Some other ones down the list are there as well. Um, I don't know if you have your anticipated list anywhere. I don't, and you it was also you maybe split it into two separate lists, so I don't know where That's you're getting true. this one list from. But yeah, I remember I, I remember that uh, ones that made my list were D and D, Oppenheimer, uh, Boy in the Heron, I think was my number one, uh, and then Indiana Jones and uh, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, uh, and then Killers of the Flower Moon. 
uh, were all, I remember all of those being on my, and I think John Wick was. Um, so those are all ones that made my list or my honorable mention that were on my initial anticipated list. So I think I had a pretty good mix of stuff that I was expecting to like that uh, worked very well for me and stuff that caught me off guard like Blackberry and Past Lives. Yes, exactly. Uh, and then just to uh, touch on, you know, to um, to reference and to honor <laughs> the old system, the old, uh, <laughs> can I say something, days. Uh, but the best I did, I read like 75 books last year. So I just want to say the uh, the best book I read this year, I actually thought of you while reading it because it reminded me, reminded me a lot of uh, Ghost Story, the uh, David Lowry movie ah. Ghost Story. Um, it's called Northwoods. Oh, uh, yeah. I know, yeah, I, I know, know that you, one, yeah. I'm ready. You know that I, one? Okay. Yeah. I just had to grab it for a customer the other day. Oh, uh, yes. Um, let me see. By Daniel Mason came out this year. Um, and it very much just uh, follows a, uh, a house built in the woods. Um, <clears throat> starts off with a, with a father and a mother. Uh, they have some kids. And the father has this apple orchard in the, in the backyard. And the kids grow up. The father dies. The kids uh, inherit the house. Um very much follows them for a while. They die. Um, it follows uh, animals and uh, how they sort of interact with the house, um, and then sort of goes goes from there up until modern day. So it is very much about sort of the legacy and the things we make and the, and the lives we live and the things we leave behind, and just how you know the 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 world, the earth, <laughs> environments, nature is just going to sort of. Uh, you know, be there forever. And we're just, we're not gonna be forgotten, but it's very much about how we're, the things we do is just sort of there for a couple generations. And we kind of have to just appreciate it while it's there because it's very much not going to be there uh, for a long time after we're gone. So very, very good book uh, out, of, out of the 75 I've read this year. One of my favorites. So definitely check that out. Uh, do you have anything to mention about books you read this year? Uh, it's a t- technically a 2022 book, but it came out in paperback in 2023, and that's The Rise and Reign of Mammals. Uh, that one, it's a, it's a follow-up to The Rise and Fall of the Dinosaurs, um, you know, which I liked a lot. Uh, and this one, uh, yeah, it similarly gave me vibes of like, yeah, like, you know, there's been life on this planet for so many millions of years, and human civilization has been around for, you know, a couple thousand, a few thousand, you know, uh, 10,000 yeah. at most. Uh, and that's a blip on the radar of geology and just like time on this planet. And it's just a really fascinating read about just, you know, um, the, the way that like life, uh, the mammals are us and just the really weird, interesting world of mammals throughout history, how they developed. There's interesting anecdotes about like platypuses and stuff like that in there. Uh, so I, I really liked that book quite a bit. Yeah, I forgot who said it, but basically an easy way to look at it is if you look at the lifespan of the Earth and you put it into the model of like a calendar, um, the Earth's been around, or, you know, humanity's been around since December 31st at yes. like 1155 it's from or the, something uh, like that. It, yeah, it's from uh, Cosmos, uh, the uh, the ah. the new edition of Cosmos with Neil deGrasse Titan, not Tyson, not the Carl Sagan version. Or it might have been in the Sagan yeah. version too, but yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, what, is, what was the best uh, game you played this year? Was it a Zelda? Was it Tears of the Kingdom? Of course, yeah, Tears of the Kingdom. One of the greatest video <laughs> games ever made. They're like, hey, yeah. you know Breath of the Wild, which is phenomenal and just like broke everyone's brains because it was so fucking good? What if we took that and made it better? <laughs> like, Tears of the Kingdom is... It feels like it's it's taken not every... Breath of the Wild was like, what if we took everything great about a Zelda game and just like 
made a masterpiece. And this feels like, what if we took out everything great about, like, video games and made a masterpiece? Because you have, like, all the stuff from Breath of the Wild. And it expands that even more. And it puts in, like, shit from, like, everything from, like, Minecraft to, to, to you know, to, like, God knows what. And it puts it in. The, and then it, it's beautiful. It's dark and haunting at times. And the story is so cool. I just beat it, like, because I, I took me a while to beat it, because I, like, take my time with games, especially games that are open world like that, and I just explored everything I was, like, I wanted to get every corner of the map, like, looked at, and then you finally go up against Ganondorf, and that, the final fight against Ganondorf is, is so good, like, on a mechanical level, it's very fun, it's a very cool, interesting, multi-stage fight that starts in the other ground, then goes up to, like, like the regular world, then goes up into the sky. In the end, you're like fighting a dragon falling through the air, and and you know, spoiler, skip ahead thirty seconds if you haven't beaten the game yet. The last thing you do in the game after you beat Ganondorf is you're falling through the air. You have to catch Zelda. So the last thing isn't about destroying something. The last thing is about you're trying to save Zelda. That's unlike any other Zelda game I've ever played, where it's like, yeah, you're trying to save Zelda, but you do it, you kill Ganondorf. That's it. This ends with like you like grabbing this love that you have and like holding her and you guys splash into that same lake that you fell into at the beginning of the game perfect symmetry amazing game amazing work of art as video game nice very cool and uh my favorite game of the year was of course Tar- tarkov <laughs> escape from <laughs> mr tarkov yep <laughs> okay uh like like you were saying with uh um tears of the kingdom what, what did she say in uh last jedi what was her name uh, sort of Ray Skywalker. Ray Skywalker, exactly. No, uh, what's her name? Oh, Rose. Rose in Last Jedi. She's like, we have to, we, we should stop trying to destroy what we hate. We have to save what we love, right? Yeah. So there's that. Um, and then announcement time. Uh, 2024 is an even year. Every other year since 2020, I have watched one movie a day, baby. It's back. One movie a day. Uh, the first year, 2020, I watched 366. In 2022, I watched the most movies I've ever watched in a year, 400 movies. Going to try to break that record in 2024. One movie, at least one movie a day. It's already started. I've already watched six movies. We were recording this on this December, uh, January 6th. Um, so that's six movies a day so far. That's one movie a day so far. So yeah, join me on my journey at uh, on Letterboxd, Santa Claus Kinski for now. Yeah, nice because I actually did that last year. I did 379 uh, movies in 2023. So I'm nice. taking I'm taking the year off, but uh, I did it last year. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And then next time, uh, next time we convene here, we will be doing what most people have done already. But uh, you know, we get to well, be with the, you know what's going on. Yes. Well, should we should we tally the scores? For the, for oh, the, the scores, the right. So maybe we, we pause guesses. for a moment and uh, we tally <laughs> yeah. up our scores and then we see who won. I think I have a guess yes. on who won, but let's ch- check the final scores. <laughs> Bonanat, Bonanat, box scores for uh, the Midnight Film Society guessing game. Derek, you came in with a hot, hot, was it 15, 16? I, couldn't, I lost track at some point. Wait, wait, what did you get first? <laughs> say, say what you got first. I got 10 points. You got total of 10 points. I total came in 10 points. with a total of 24 points. What? 24? Where are you getting 24, 24 from? Because I got, I got one, two, three right on. So that's 15 points there. Okay. And then I got another two from the killer because yeah. that was okay. one off. And then, so I, oh, wait, no, I got, I got four dead on. 
because I got anatomy of a fall dead on. Wait, right? Uh, yeah, number anatomy, eight. Yeah, anatomy of the fall was dead on, and then I was one off for Oppenheimer. Uh, okay. Or two off that's for Oppenheimer, three. so that's uh, and then yeah, so I got three f- points from the killer. I got okay. one point from Oppenheimer. I got five yep. from Past Lives, five from Killers of the Flower Moon, five from Anatomy of a Fall, and five from Poor Things. <laughs> okay, all right. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Fine. You know me better. Jesus. <laughs> all right. Congratulations for the inaugural like winner, Derek. Thank you. Thank winner you. Winner of the most, yes, guessing game of mm-hmm. best year, best yeah. films of 2023. And all right. Good luck next year. Thank you. Thank you. Good luck to you next year as well. And I think. That since I won, uh, much like you yep. did with the summer movie wager, how you won, yes, I get to pick a movie yep. for you to watch, and I'm yes. going to be gracious and pick the same exact thing that you picked for me, which is the snowman. So let's watch both watch the snowman and talk <laughs> about it next week. Okay, the snowman. Yeah, sorry, I'll write that down. Mm-hmm. The snowman assignment. Ugh. All right, sounds good to me. Assignment, assignment. All right. And with that, let's uh, talk about next time. It'll be most anticipated films of 2024. I already have one already pulled together, already pulled the list of uh, what they talked about on the big pick uh, this week. Sean Fennessy, as we all know, is a mad lad. He had like (laughs) 25 things on the slate already. So I I put all those together, compiled the list on my... uh, on my letterbox, you can go to, again, uh, Santa Klaus Kinski to see that list I made from the big pick and most anticipated movies of 2024. So we'll be, doing, we'll be doing our own list of most anticipated films next week, just like we did last year. So again, just like last year, there'll probably be something. There'll, there'll always be a past lives. There'll always be a um, holdovers. Let me see what else came out that I didn't think about at all. You know, Godzilla. Uh, Poor Things was was on the radar. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon obviously was. So there'll be things like Riding the Sun, Iron Claw. I don't think was on my on my radar at all. Um, theater Camp, not really. So there's always things, you know. There's always things that pop up during the year. Definitely look we'll look forward to. Yeah, in yeah. The coming it's year, gonna be a good yeah. one. it's gonna there's there's gonna there. I mean, I don't know. Well, I say it's gonna be a good one, but I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, because there was, there, I mean, there's going to be some things that got delayed from this year, but uh, I don't know. With the wider strike and everything that happened this year, I think that yeah. there's going to be some things that, oh, you know, <laughs> a lot. There's not, there's going to be a rough year, maybe. It's going to be like we had a couple good years. Maybe the fallout from that, though, is going to be this is 2024. Who knows? We'll see. Fingers crossed. That's good. Yeah, we will see. And of course, you always have to, have to remember, you know, it was the American writers and American actors strike. You have. Right. You know, Jeff, you have international movies, uh, not just England, but, you know, Japan, Australia, Canada, Mexico. We have all sorts of great, uh, great origin. What am I trying to say? International? <laughs> great filmmakers. Great, yes. Great international filmmakers from around the world also made movies last year that weren't affected by either strike. So always have to keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think with that, uh, thank you, Derek, for a wonderful year of talking movies. Thank you for having me. It's I. It's yes. been a blast. Yes, yes, yes. So with that, and uh, for 2023, and for the Midnight Film Society podcast, I've been Damian Sherman. And I have been Derek McDuff. And we'll see you next time and next year. See ya. Bye.